Yeah, radio Bill Cole, he, he will very much like to just stay in his tent for a couple of days after his long uh, walk in the caves. He's a bit tired. Yeah, he would the love that. Position. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, sip a bit of wine, read a good book, write my, my lovers some long letters. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you start the game inside of the airplane, uh, heading towards the pass. So, sorry. <laughs> Fuck the pass. The pass. And so is this kind of a, it's kind of a race? Uh, how are the Germans attempting to go, even though they don't have the proper plane or how? Yeah. So, um, as you came out, you've been filled in on kind of the, what's happened in the few days that you've been gone. And, um, uh, the Germans didn't have aircraft that could uh, fly uh, high enough to actually pass through the mountains. So um, what had happened was that Lexington had made a deal with them to um, lend her... Lend, uh, she would lend them her plane, or they, they would fly with her, and in exchange they would lend her equipment because um, she had lost some equipment due to uh, sabotage and, and various other things. Um and beyond that, um, you also get filled in on some of the other strange things that uh, they had found in the camp while you'd been gone. Um, they had excavated some of the old hangars um, and found uh, planes. So the planes were, that were still in there um, had been kind of you know, um, uh, broken beyond repair by the wind or by by snow and ice over the uh, the years, um, but in some cases they found really weird uh, things. Like uh, there was a, a a hastily built shelter of some sort under one of them, under one of the wings, where uh, there was evidence that um, the the dogs had been dissected um, and laid out in in these curious. Um, uh, patterns on the ground and, and they had, the parts of the dogs had been sorted in various strange ways and it was a, a very chilling sight. What? That's freaky as fuck. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let, let me just build this shelter under this wing of this airplane and do an autopsy on my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Pass the time. What should I do? Ah, There's not the a lot to do. They don't have cable. Um, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> What? No cable. This is a horror story. <laughs> now the horror begins. Um, and uh, it looked like the radio of one of the planes, uh, some of the, actually some of the instrumentation had been taken apart and uh, attempts had been made to put it together again in ways that just made no sense um, at all. Mm. Um, so they clearly lost it. Weird stories like that um, that you hear as you're kind of preparing and, uh, and taking off. Is there any possibility that the frozen these frozen airplanes in an emergency situation could be used as spare parts, like to jury rig components? Like if we had a vital component break, could we use these, these um, remnants? Um, maybe. I mean, they are. Um, I just lost the stream. Um, maybe they're different planes. They're uh, they're called uh, Dornier something. Um, so who knows? If it comes to it, you know, I guess you'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I lost radio terror. Oh, I have radio, radio terror. terror back. You call it how mistrustful? Terror. How mistrustful of Germany is the world 
at this time, pre-World War II. I, mean, it's, it's, I think we love Germany, no? Yeah. I don't know, the Cipollinar and everything? 33. Well, I don't know if I trust the crowds. I fought them in uh, 18, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I would imagine there's still much closer resentment over World yeah. War One. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely also that rising, uh, you know... Uh, pseudo-populism uh, slash hatred culture, you know, um, in the early 30s. Mm -hmm. But how much that, you know, how much that actually kind of influences people's relationship with Germany at the time, it's, it's entirely up to you. So is it not uh, out of character to say that we would we'd want to take our weapons with us, or at the very least pistols that could be concealed if now we're going to be isolated with this group that we don't know and not necessarily trust. I have my rifle with me. It's certainly you got not your rifle? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, yeah. If people are openly being armed, then I'll yeah, just I'll take weapons. People are generally armed. Also, just because you never know if, uh, I mean, uh, in, in general, uh, this area has been pretty um, uh, barren, but nevertheless, I mean, there are penguins and stuff. So should you be, you know, caught somewhere or something, it might be a good idea to have something you can actually hunt. Uh, what little and apparently fucking <laughs> flying monsters, so yeah, I bring my rifle. <laughs> That's conjecture, Tom, conjecture. <laughs> All right, well, we so... We see the corpses, so... Um, so in general, uh, I assume there's nothing else you need to do before um, we continue. So, okay, but you, what is the thing about the pass? The pass is what... So the the planes are making their way towards um, the uh, the mountains. There was uh, reports of a a pass uh, in the mountains from the previous expedition when they they flew. They made like a a run past the mountains. So there's um, there's reports that there's a place that it might be possible to uh, cross over the mountains. Mm. So we actually more than investigating the mountains, we are trying to get to the other side. Yes, that's the uh, that's the plan. That's what the the Germans in Lexington uh, want to do, and that's now what Starkweather, not one to be uh, outplayed by Lexington, um, is setting out to do as well. Okay, I'm wondering if there's any kind of emergency rescue plan because obviously this sounds like a situation that could go horribly wrong, being <laughs> uh, on the other side of mountains and out of contact. Like, are there there's there another plane that can reach us that if they don't if we don't return by a certain time. They're going to come looking and go like along a certain heading as soon as they go through the, the mountains, the opening to look for us or something? No. <laughs> okay. So we, we're screwed if, we do, if anything goes wrong. Yeah, because you brought, you brought four planes. You brought a, a small one and then the three big Boeings. And one of the Boeings you know, was sabotaged um, uh, on board. And then you have the two ones, the Enderby and the Weddell. And those are the two that you're now uh, flying, uh, flying in. Um, and uh, the Basmaya Falcon and Lexington expeditions took off about 20 minutes ago, so they're, they have a little bit of head time. Uh, okay, oh, so how many planes do they take, do we know? Uh, they just have one, the Bell. Just one. Okay, so three planes total that are making the trip. That We'll have to draw short straws if it comes to it. <laughs> <laughs> and is this on 4th of December, just to hear like when we are? Uh, yes, this is December 4th. Cool. Let's see. Get all my documents in order here. Oh, you have a holiday tomorrow in the U.S., right? Yeah. Nice. 
sweet. So you can play role-playing games till late. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so you're inside. You're in the Boeing's. The Boeing's are they're flying uh, not far from one another uh, towards the mountains. You're about 200 miles from the mountain proper, like the mountain wall. And uh, as I said before, the other uh, plane, the Bell, left about 20 minutes ago. And since then, you've been scrambling to get everything aboard and, and head off. Um, and uh, there is room for, you know, I forget exactly how many. I think it's eight people aboard each of the Boeings. But I don't know, we can always look that up. Are we taking any kind of ground transportation? Any dogs or sleds? Or No, there's no room. Skis. Um, for if you also want to have the there's no room and there wasn't any time as well um, oh, okay. so it's just people and uh, some equipment there's oxygen tanks uh, tents and um, you know various other kind of implements for for survival so, so are we abandoning the camp now is that it or is somebody staying back there's still people at the camp sounds like fun uh, still people uh, the dogs are, are there uh, I believe and the Germans, so both, I think both the Germans and, uh, like all three expeditions essentially have people in the camp now. So it's very well populated. Like everybody's here. Yeah. So d d just to understand, what are the factions right now at the camp? They're the Germans? Yeah, the Basmaya Falcon expedition. Okay. Uh, Basmaya Falcon expedition uh-huh and then there's the stock with more which is us yeah and then there's lexington yeah but i mean we pretty much joined forces with lexington but is it it's still like basically just a practical arrangement and the rivalry is still going on right so what you what you missed out on while you were in the caves is that uh lexington so um, Lexington had borrowed equipment from the Stark Weather More expedition, uh, but some of the the oxygen that they had taken up when they were flying, they were making um, um, uh, what do you call it, like a reconnaissance uh, trip of the mountains and filming. Um, the oxygen actually turned out to be tainted, uh, so they it could have ended up in a, in a catastrophe. But luckily, they survived, and so uh, it seems like the the contention uh, between the two teams began to kind of um, rise again. I think it helps us out too because, as I recall, we lost like a significant amount of our fuel storage when we we're mm -hmm. getting it all on the ice shelf. Yeah. Um, do, do we have like compressors to refill those oxygen tanks when we need, or? Um, you know, that's a good question. Uh, do you still have access to the manifest? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think they're. Uh, well, maybe we probably can... not. Uh, but it's not a big issue. We have a good supply, or uh, yeah, you have. Um, so the the reported height of the the uh, mountains um, is twenty thousand feet. So you have oxygen for about three days at that uh, altitude. Good. And you you always have to be on oxygen at that altitude. Yeah. So you have to sleep. Yeah. Sleep in it. Yeah, so you have uh, you actually have um, enclosed oxygen tents that you can. Uh, use. So it, it's going to be a might dangerous up there, guys, and that you know, if you, if you lose your mask. No, no smoking in the tents. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a long trip. Cool. Um, 
how did the cooperation with the German element come about? Because it seems like that's a that's a big step of cooperation to take to be, that they arrive well, that's, at that. That's, that's that's Lexington, right? I mean, it's her backstepping deals. Yeah, she set it up. Um, uh, the thing about I mean, the thing about the Antarctic is that nobody lays claim to it. So um, there's you know when they arrived, there wasn't much to do other than than kind of say okay well you're also here um, but it seems like they've been um, they've been fairly exemplary about you know uh, helping out with the dig and so forth uh, they also brought some um, uh, fantastic equipment as well they have these uh, ice knives and stuff that they and tanks and tanks <laughs> yeah yeah because I was going to say because that's a big stretch to allow a rival expedition to jump on your planes when they didn't bring adequate supplies to make the best discoveries and let them ride along. So are they riding in our planes or are they all in Lexington? They're on plane? the bell. So that's the Lexington plane. The Lexington yeah. Okay. They're basically heading to the same place as us right now. Yeah. So it's it's like a subsection of, of the German uh, expedition, like a, a few people from there and then people from Lexington's expedition. Uh, all, right. all I'm thinking is we're a little outnumbered. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I actually forget what the exact number of people in the bell are. Uh, you might actually outnumber them, all in all, depending. Um, cool. Any other questions? No, let's, let's ride. Let's get this bitch in we the ride. air. Let's fly. Cool. About 20 minutes into the flight, as the two aircraft rise past 16,000 feet, uh, they're caught up in powerful winds rushing from the pole towards the mountains. The engines roar and race, the planes shudder and jerk violently in midair. Um, Everybody make sure you're strapped in. Please return your tray tables to their full upright position. <laughs> Refrain from using the laboratory. <laughs> Uh, you can hear the pilots are cursing, uh, but there's no chance for questions since you're just being slammed up and down, side to side, in sudden unpredictable lunges. Uh, loose items skitter along the, uh, the walls and floor, uh, and if you aren't uh, belted in, um, let's see if... So, David, you're probably belted in. Uh, are you guys belted in? Since I'm flying. Well, totally. I, but I would make sure everyone's belted in the minute we start getting... All right, I'll, I'll allow it. Um, Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, David. Close call. What a way to go. Thanks, William. <laughs> oh, I think he's dead. He must have died during the turbulence. Uh, quick question. Uh, health? We didn't get anything back? Uh, no, you haven't had time to rest. That blows. Sorry. Um, within minutes, the craft are fully within the racing air current. Ground speed increases to over 250 miles per hour, uh, although you can't really feel the difference. Uh, only the mountains change, nearing at an alarming rate. Each minute they loom larger and darker until they fill the forward view. It seems impossible that they should continue to grow, but they do. As the aircraft nears the high peaks, the crackle of static increases moment by moment to a powerful throbbing roar. I think I actually have radio interference here. There we go. Nobody aboard has ever experienced its like. Communication with the camp becomes first difficult and impossible uh, in a matter of minutes. Even the signals from other planes less than half a mile away um, are drowned within a sea of noise. I don't actually hear anything. In what, the stream? Yeah. Do you guys? It's, it's playing, yeah, but I, I, hear, I hear wind. I hear wind. It's scary. Maybe I hear wind or it's static, I don't know. It's probably, just, it sounds like static. 
Um, almost at once, the planes were approaching 18,000 feet. Uh, everyone aboard should be on oxygen, uh, uh, on oxygen at this time. You clamp your, your, your nose is shut and you bite down on this rubbery pipe stem um, where the, the oxygen is always flowing. And it's this acrid, cold, uh, cold and dry. Uh, it smells like paint or, or glue. And um, sometimes you get this nauseous feeling uh, from the industrial fumes within the tanks. Um, let's see, scroll, scroll. Worst hangover cure ever. <laughs> Sorry. The foothills. Is the navigation equipment working fine, like the compasses? So far. Okay. <laughs> The foothills between Lakes Camp and the Pass are high, rough peaks in their own right, stark blades and angles of rock thrusting upwards from sheaths of ice. Anywhere else they would be recognized by the, for the mighty monoliths they are. Here they're dwarfed to insignificance by the incredible wall of stone that is the central range. Rushing forward, the eyes of everyone in the two planes are helplessly drawn to the impossible spires of the mountains, mercilessly illuminated by low rays of sunlight slanting from the east. The aircraft strain and wallow in the rarefied air, but the high peaks continue upward, upward, high above the tiny craft even now. Uh, they seem to hold up the sky. The heavens, glimpsed through the high peaks, are a curious color, mottled white and pink, tinged with dark bands and areas of brightness that seem to move. The mountains are a dark stone, bands of black and grays interspersed with lighter striations, uneven in appearance and riddled. Um, in the upper reaches above 21,000 feet with the blocks, angled terraces, and clusters of countless shadowy cave mouths. There is no snow at all near the pass or on the high spires. Is somebody knocking on a door? Sounds like knocking on a door. On Heaven's door? There's something on the wing! <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little gremlin out there. <laughs> <laughs> In the barren stretches near the pass, the ancient surfaces of the natural mountainside give way to more artificial forms. Round-edged, weathered clusters of stony cubes, eerily regular in size and shape, are everywhere in the higher levels. They're glistening quartzite, pale and luminous against the mountain's darker stone. Spires, cones and cylinders, ramps and ramparts, and cave mouths of great regularity and antiquity appear, first as little more than scattered shapes, like the discarded blocks of a cyclopean child, more often as the plane rises further. Um, <laughs> does anybody have any geology or stuff like that? Yes. Tom, nice. um, you, you realize that those kinds of formations that you see on the mountaintops, uh, those kind of very angular uh, formations, uh, occur naturally in uh, places like... Um, have you ever been to Iceland or uh, I think Northern Ireland? They have these like, like yeah, like volcanic, uh, volcanically created hex hexagonal weird mm. uh, stuff, like the Giant's Causeway and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you look around and you see no evidence of volcanic activity here. That's what you're saying. This does not look natural. Uh, or it could be, but there's no evidence of the kind of uh, kind of situation that was created. Yeah. Basically, I have my face on the window the whole time, I guess. It's actually frozen. You shouldn't have licked the glass. <laughs> <laughs> in the last few miles before the pass, the aircraft seemed like tiny toys, utterly dwarfed by the sheer immensity of the approaching spires. The Weddell and the Enderby stagger along the very, at the very limit of their engine's power, five miles above the sea, 
and the tall peaks to either side scrape the heavens full miles higher still. The broad base of the pass, a good mile across, seems a narrow needle's eye through which the two planes are thrust with bewildering speed. Can we actually see the other plane now? or? Uh, you can only see your own planes. You have the two. Um, this is, you've seen the cover. That's what they look like. And down here somewhere, there it is. There's your plane. Uh, uh, oh, Boom! So, uh, it's just for... We do not want to go down here. <laughs> for scope. Um... <clears throat> I can see my house from here. <laughs> really? The first cave mounts appear at a short distance below the level of the pass at roughly 22,000 feet. To the naked eye, they look like little more than dark shadows against the, matter, uh, the matte fabric of the stone. Cube-shaped excrustations uh, cluster thickly around the outside of the cave. And the caves, too, exhibit a regularity of shape and height that's unnerving. All are either square or semicircular in outline, but without reference, it's difficult to say how large they are. Nothing else can be seen with the naked eye as the planes hurtle past. Nobody thought to pack uh, binoculars or field glasses uh, unless somebody wants to make a... Uh, I, I think all that stuff would be pretty standard exploration gear. It would. Uh, rope. On a on a well prepared expedition. Did you want us to make a list of everything? No, <laughs> but you can do a preparedness uh, spend if you want to. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, so what does that mean? I spend one point. Yeah, you can spend one yeah. point of preparedness, and that'll oh. that'll give you a pair of field glasses. It's like, whoop. oh, I suddenly have. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, only one pair of field glasses. No, I want the whole deal. I want the package. <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want rope and grappling hook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fine, you can have rope as well. Um, so you 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 put your uh, the the field glasses up to the window, um, and it's it's kind of beginning to, to freeze over a little bit at the at the edges, uh, and you look out uh, towards the the peaks. Um, you can see that the um, uh, the cave mouths are smooth and regular, especially along uh, the upper surfaces. And uh, the lower lips are often um, rounded and misshapen by, it looks like, by sun and wind. And the sides of the mountain exterior uh, immediately around the cave mouths are invariably smooth and clean between the caves and the surrounding clusters of cubes. Um, the, you, you see brief glimpses into the cave mouths. You don't see any stalactites or stalagmites or any other signs of natural formations, just these clean, regular tunnels and chambers that penetrate deeply into the mountainside. Um, and, oh uh, God, what's the... There's a one-point evidence collection spend, if you want it. You do that, Tom. I don't have... Oh, yes, I do. Okay, fine, I'll do evidence collection. All right. <laughs> you hand the binoculars to... Um, to Let me see, goddammit. Professor Bercourt. <laughs> um, you, you, you seem to uh, sense, and it's really hard to see um, because the plane is uh, moving so fast and being bumped around and stuff, but you, you get the sense that there are... Um, these weirdly regular patterns of dots uh, around the the cave mouths. Look at that, guys! 
dots. And it reminds you of, remember... Remember this thing here? Oh yeah. Um, the it has these. You can't quite see it, but it has these weird little dot patterns on it. Uh, so it's definitely it's definitely not a natural natural formation say, or a natural caves at all. Where did we see that starfish thing? Where did, where you found it um, in the cave, I believe. Uh, you might have found it somewhere else in the camp as well. Not, not natural. Yeah. Um, there's a one point, uh, let's see, outdoorsmen spend for you, uh, Jens, if you want it, Malmus. Yes, yes. You... Um. <coughs> Yes. You uh, you look down at the land below, um, and you see uh, there's um, the foothill ranges push upwards out of the ice for hundreds of miles. But here and there, uh, for most of the way, there are swaths of snow and glacier that form smooth, gentle slopes uh, leading up towards the pass. Uh, despite chasms and regions where the land has fallen away, anyone. Um, uh, uh, you you think that maybe um, uh, somebody who you know would be with proper supplies, careful enough, could probably pass through the pass on foot uh, in a few weeks, if if need be. But I think there's no way you'd be able to carry that oxygen though for a few weeks. You guys figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> um. The glaciers lead up towards uh, the peaks with unusual continuity. Broad, sinuous expanses of ice slope gently, suggesting that the land beneath was once smooth and free of obstruction. Alright. Uh, and there's another... What would that be? I need to see a character sheet. It's a... It's a who do we have on the plane of uh, the big boys? Starkweather? Let's see if I have a list here somewhere. So I actually do have a complete uh, inventory of the plane as well, if you want it. Um, no, no, it's okay. Just want to know. Only like, if we're going to do a man manifest check. Uh, you want to do a manifest check? We can do that, okay. okay yeah. Great, fine. Uh, I just I'm, I'm gonna point out the what I saw in the binoculars to the to boss man. Yeah. Uh, everybody aboard the plane is wrapped with attention, just looking at the at the all the details and like your the the binoculars get passed around and people are, are gawking and gaping. Um, so here's the. I want to get in the caves. So actually, why don't we split you up into two different planes? Um, so the Enderby carries Ralph DeWitt, he's a pilot. Uh, Patrick Miles is a co-pilot. James Starkweather, Richard Green, he's the doctor. And two others. So Maunus and uh, Belcour, you're in the Enderby. The Weddell carries uh, Douglas Halperin and... Um, uh, oh God, I forgot your character's name now. <laughs> Avery, William Avery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're co-piloting that plane with William Moore. 
and uh, four other guys, uh, the names of whom uh, I do not have in front of me. Let's see. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Six people for each plane. And then a whole bunch okay. of equipment. I can send you this list, actually. Yeah. I'm sure it'd probably be useful to have just... Yeah. I think it would be, actually. Yeah. Um, here, let me do it this way. Hold on. Let me get my phone. Uh, do I have Skype on there? Yeah, hold on. So it seems like this mountain system is like either currently or previously inhabited. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it, there must have been people here at some point doing these caves and possibly living here. It seems odd, though. Well, they certainly wouldn't be a species of human, right? I mean, but I, but I, well, well, I suppose like it could have been. Uh, Thousands of years ago, maybe a different climate. But but then I guess like um, don't like the Sherpas, uh, you know, when they go up uh, Everest because there's they live in that high environment, they don't need oxygen or something like that. But no, I think they still I think they still need oxygen to go up to the top. Just the base camp, they can they can hike up there and haul all that stuff, and they don't need oxygen. But I think they still need oxygen to go up higher. Uh, maybe, See, I don't think, maybe I don't if think you're humans. used to maybe if you're used to to living in heights, you don't need it. Yeah, but not, not this high. I think this height is just there's just too little oxygen for a human mm. lungs to. But I mean, there's no signs of how old these caves are. I mean, yeah, they could have been. They can be a million years old, for all we know. No. Uh, yeah, but. Even if they're a million years old, that, that doesn't change the oxygen requirements because the, the <laughs> well, the, the mountains could have raised still be thin. theoretically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> would everything be intact? <laughs> I guess not. Um, Screw it. Okay, so, uh, so, so what did we just receive here? Uh, I sent you pictures of the um, inventory inventory on board the Weddell and the Enderby. I have a camera. There's a camera. Uh, I'll take a picture if I can. Yep. Um, so, uh, Belcour, um, you get this odd sense of familiarity uh, as you look out uh, onto the mountains. You get this sense of déjà vu almost. It's like it's like the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> I shall climb them and drink the wine and eat the cheese. I don't know why you spoke like a German. It's <laughs> very odd. Do you have something you want to tell us? Um, the sweeping ramparts and stark contrasts of light and dark and this sense of massive timelessness and ancient secrets. Um, you've seen it before and it suddenly reminds you of the paintings that you saw in uh, Acacia Lexington's study at oh, yeah. her family home. Um, uh, which I don't think you know who the artist is, so we'll leave that be. Good. The two planes keep one of the smooth glacier paths beneath them, uh, hurtling upward into the narrow pass at more than four miles per minute. So far, they've performed faultlessly, their unsynchronized engines roaring in the thin, cold air beyond the cabin window windows. 
The bottom of the pass lies at 23,880 feet, now visible before him. Um, a stark expanse of wind-scoured gray stone guarded on either side by fantastic rips and pillars of rock and by the ever-present caves and their companion clusters. The radios are useless. Nothing but wild, hauling chaos can be heard. Even the other Boeing is silent. Its signal lost in the static hisses, cracks, sputters, and moans. The rock face is now utterly bare, stripped clean of all trace of snow and ice by the ever-present wind. Ahead and on all sides of the jagged peaks, claw, knife-like at a sky of swirling opalescence. Thin clouds of ice crystals carried up from the lowlands paint chimera and shadows across the heavens and create an odd sense of oppression. The nearby spires seem wrapped in faint veils of color, shifting rainbows that flicker and evanesce, as if the light itself lay wound in heavy coils about and between them. In the last minutes of the climb, investigators, uh, um, you begin begin to hear a new sound, uh, a high piping whistling so faint that it's almost barely audible over the, engi- uh, the engine's roar, but it nonetheless seems to invade every corner of the plane, sliding along the nerves and lodging deep within your, list- your bones. Sometimes you can almost make out the thread of a tune, then it spirals away, twisting into something inhuman and beyond understanding. The sound seems to come from everywhere and nowhere. Is that the... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who has the lowest ability I'm on 4 out of 10 it's probably you you have you're filled with this deep inexplicable sense of dread and revulsion the music seems to carry some dark primal message that's almost but not quite understood at a level beyond thought and beyond memory um, I'm a bad feeling about this. You try to, you try to clamp your your uh, your hands over your ears, but um, it seems to linger and vibrate through your body as a silent reminder. Uh, give me a stability check. All of us. No, just uh, Belcour. So, just as a reminder, uh, the way it works is you roll a d6 and then. Um, you can choose to spend points, but um, and I'm not telling I'm, you how much. So I don't tell you how many points you would lose, and you can choose to spend points. You have to hit. Uh, usually it's four. I'm not telling you what the difficulty is in this case. And if you is it okay if I just hit a six? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I man up. I man the fuck up. <laughs> Slap myself a little bit in the plane. and like, let's do this. Slap myself together. <laughs> I take a little sip of red wine that I have in my pocket. I'm good. The sound seems to build around within the plane, uh, growing stronger and sadder for each passing minute. Then the Enderby and the Weddell enter the pass. How's the turbulence? Pretty bad. Uh, Avery, I'm gonna need. Is there like a navigate? Sorry. Yeah. Before we get there, can I use the, the glasses to survey the past just to make sure there's no uh, obstructions or surprises yep. or it's clear? 
Okay. As if by magic, we even though we we're in separate planes, we all have binoculars. Oh well, a pilot gear would be standard. Binoculars should be standard yeah. for the flight, not for the flight, flight crew. Um. Yeah. You. Uh. You look out. You. You see the path kind of continuing on for for quite a while, and um, the the ground keeps rising up. Uh, there doesn't seem to be. Are you looking for what are you looking for specifically? I just want to make sure it looks like we have plenty of room to go through. Yeah. There's no, uh, you know, anything that would be obstructing the flight path. Rocks that are loose or yeah, uh, uh, it seems that there's. I mean, it's it's fairly wide, so there's there should be enough room to to um, for you to go through. And it, it from what you can see, it doesn't seem to climb beyond your your altitude or your like your your plane's uh, altitude capabilities. Okay. All right, so you need a piloting role? Uh, yeah, so we're actually going to say whether there's a navigation. Um, I, actually have, uh, I actually have some aerial navigation uh, points uh, yeah, for those special training we have. It would be great if you were uh, piloting the plane. <laughs> uh, just give me a piloting. Okay. I will spend... This is for yeah. Don't, don't skimp. Don't skimp on the no, points now. Is this to pilot through, or is this to just know? It's a navigation role, essentially. So okay. uh, I'm going to spend four points. Four points. Man means business. Excellent. Um, as you enter the pass, you realize that with there's a gale blowing at your backs, and uh, if that keeps up, which it's likely to do, uh, then this would be impossible to, to fly back in, or through, rather. Is that like what happened to Top last night? He had a gale blowing up his back, was that it? <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. At the last moment... There's a blinding flash of sunlight behind and 60 degrees to the right of the aircraft. To the passengers in the planes, you're momentarily dazzled as twin halos surround the sun and it is bisected by a glowing cross. Small glories, too, can be seen surrounding the shadows of the planes as they plunge into the darkness between the peaks. More in stark weather, seemingly unaffected by the wailing, crouch forward in their cabins, peering uh, forward past the pilots, straining for a first sight of the high plateau beyond the pass. With a sudden shout, Starkweather turns, gesturing to any investigators in his plane to load and ready the motion picture camera. No sign of the bell has been seen, either in the air or on the ground. Everyone cranes their necks, looking ahead, trying to catch the first glimpse of what lies ahead. The sun is hidden behind the great mass of mountains to starboard. Magnetic and gyro compasses swing wildly, showing no signs of ever settling down. Oh, great. Here we go. <laughs> the transit of Dyer's Pass takes only five minutes. Clearing the summit, the two aircrafts burst through the swirling cloud patterns and angle down towards the plateau beyond. A shimmering haze of ice particles lie on the horizon directly ahead. Thin layers of ice smoke blur the fine details of the land below. Directly beneath the plains, long talons of shadow reach to the west, wrapping the foothills in darkness. The shadows of the Boeings can be seen as well, dark tunnels through the intangible mists like windows into a dream. Behind the aircraft, in the sky above the highest peaks, portions of the solar halos can still be seen, like luminous rainbows of the purest white in the sky. They fade slowly as the planes descend. The glowing signs in the sky behind, the darkness below, may seem like omens to some, but there's no turning back. As you peer into the distance, the aircraft begin to descend. 
A fine whisper of something passes through the craft, tickling your hairs and reminding you of the, wind, the mountain's wailing piping sound. The, the wash of ruddy sunlight dims and thickens layers upon layer, like slow and subtle sap settling around the lowering plains. For a moment, the engines throb and strain, and the aircraft shudder as if from turbulence, but the air before them seems still. Seconds later, all is as, all is as it was before. The haze below is gone, the true nature of the plateau can be clearly seen. Before you, miles away yet, but seemingly almost close enough to touch, an immense ice-shrouded city spreads out before you. Incredibly massive, impossibly ancient, and undeniably real. Its crumbled towers and labyrinthine streets extend as far as the eye can see. Everywhere is a maze of squared, curved, and angled blocks, tumbled ramparts, and immense expanse of rubble embedded in glacial ice. The frozen sheet appears to be no more than 40 or 50 feet deep. Here and there, vast dark shapes beneath the surface tempt imagination. A chorus of low oaths, prayers, and queries can be heard inside each plane as everyone struggles with the reality of the scene. I'm gonna need a stability check. Holy shit. Again? <laughs> Didn't I just do this? Yes. Uh, okay, so now I would like that explanation. How do you do a stability check? You just roll a six. <laughs> just roll no, a six, you know, need explain or a one, it. Or a one. <laughs> or a one. Uh, okay, but how can you spend points? So I got... You take them from the stability, so you... It's like a fucking lose-lose situation. <laughs> exactly, yeah. that's what I don't get. So I have four. Yeah. That's, that sucks. Yeah, you spend and lose, or you spend and lose. <laughs> or not just lose. So, um... My stability. Right. I recommend rolling a six. <laughs> okay, I can tell. <laughs> Ooh, stability. Not good. Jeez. Uh, so, uh, yes, did you roll? Or do you want to know? Because you I know? don't get it. Okay, so here's how it works. Um, you. So each stability check has a value attached to it, which right. is. Um, uh, hold on. Let me just define the rule now. Are we never going to get stability back? Is it pretty much gone? Uh, it's quite hard to get stability back in a purist game. Uh, unfortunately. Is this a purist game? Yes. Shit. <laughs> so... So usually, so there's a there's a difficulty level you have to hit. Um, so when you roll, you can choose to spend stability points to try to hit that, um, so as to avoid uh, incurring the cost that uh, the stability might be on you. So um, just to give you some idea, uh, each stability roll will have a value as, uh, associated with it. So it'd be like a one point stability roll or a four point stability roll, uh, and right. so forth. Uh, and to give you kind of a, an idea of what the the scale is. Uh, stability loss of uh, a one-point roll would be you see a corpse, a fresh corpse, or you witness somebody being killed. 
Um, a four point would be you spend a week in solitary confinement. Uh, you learn that a, a friend has been violently killed. An eight point right. one would be you kill a friend or loved one. Um, you're right. something like that, right? So for something like this, uh, just to give you kind of a scale, it's it's probably relatively low. So you don't so so you have to then when you roll the die, you have to hit a certain target number. Right. And usually in, in the game, the target number is four. It can be modified up or down a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So if you suspect that the stability test will, co will cost you more points than uh, if you were, what you were to spend, uh, then you can spend the points. Otherwise, uh, don't. Does that make sense? It, so you, but you don't give us any indication as to the, like, the risk levels for no. us so that we can do like a, a risk assessment. Well, no, so we just have just... to kind of guess. Didn't we just see like an ancient city in this uh, horror setting? I mean, uh, this is. Uh, I think this goes beyond seeing like uh, a dead dog in traffic. <laughs> I really couldn't tell you. I can tell. Yeah, you. but I don't think you you wouldn't rule stability for a dead dog. I mean, that's that fits your framework of the world, and it's common. You expect to see that, yeah. even though you don't want to see it. Right. Okay, but if you see a dead body, human body, that's a one, right? Yeah. And here you're seeing an ancient city. In the South Something Pole. that defies all of your 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 logic and knowledge of yeah. the world, basically. Yeah. yeah, and there's a crazy ass whistling sound. Yes. Just to freak you out. <laughs> right, I'm just gonna roll it this straight because I don't know what else. Fuck it, I'm gonna jump. See you later, guys. It's too much. <laughs> all right, so Professor Belcour. That'll cost you three points. William and Maunus, that'll cost you each one point. What? I'm on one. My stability is one. I'm on four. <laughs> so, um, one is all I need. <laughs> You're totally stable. <laughs> You're hanging on. I'm doing fine, guys. Here's Johnny. Um, Tom, you, uh, you begin to... Uh, uh, hyperventilate and, and cold sweat inside of your polar gear um, just at the thought of what this is. I mean, you're an archaeologist or, or you're an archaeologist, right? No, but I, I'm definitely uh, science-y. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this... Yeah, I, I have a lot of archaeology and anthropology and all this kind of shit. Yeah, so. this, this goes like very much against everything that you've ever known and trained for and uh, it, it begins to it begins to chip away at your understanding of the world, essentially. Um, that seems like a Lots of physics of are rumbling, yes. But what are your pillars of sanity? Scientific progress and physics laws and patriotism and nation, national virtue. Well, that's like two out of four. They've just gone yeah. down the train here. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, the table can't stand up with just two legs. <laughs> exactly. That's the spirit of... That's the um, so pillars of sanity can begin to crumble once you start to lose sanity. Sanity is the supernatural. Uh, it's it's the fabric of the world is beginning okay. to crumble. Because but how does stability affect? Uh, how does stability and sanity differ? So sanity. So you can have you know sanity is essentially um, uh, sanity is impacted primarily by um, supernatural things. So. Okay. Because I still have nine out of nine on sanity, so yeah. So you, in that so sense, you, I'm doing good. So your your idea of the world is still intact insofar as so you've just seen a city, a giant city in the Antarctic, which uh, is in itself incredible. 
but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily tear at the fabric of reality. Um, stability. So you can have somebody who, for instance, knows everything about you know, uh, say Cthulhu, um, and yet their stability is still high, and so they're they're high functioning, but they know that the world is utterly corrupt and uh, humans are insignificant. Uh, but on the other hand, you can have somebody who's just a crazy homeless person, and their sanity might be, you know, normal, but their stability is is super low because they've gone through a lot of things in their life. So that's that's kind of the the, right. the split. It's a, it can be a little uh, difficult to remember sometimes. But all you need to know is uh, you're hyperventilating, and um, you've never seen anything like it before, and this changes everything. Increases oxygen. <laughs> Belcourt, stop spending oxygen. <laughs> um, for for you other guys, you you definitely you're definitely shaken, but you you're trying to remain in control. You're you know you're trying to focus and just trying to grasp what you're seeing in front of you. So, so my main concern is, okay, this is all great and everything, but we need to live to uh, to land the plane to be able to have any yeah. interest in exploring. So is there anywhere out there that looks like a viable landing spot? Um, you begin to, to look around, and um, you begin to, to kind of bank slightly to the right and descend um, going uh, north along the terraced expanse of the foothills. You can hear uh, Starkweather, who's in your plane, uh, Avery, Look at the size of it! No wonder the crowds were in such a hurry! Uh, and then in your plane, uh, the other one, uh, the uh, Moor just like sits back in his seat and kind of takes his glasses off and rubs his eyes and shaking his head. Um, the planes begin to drop below the level of the pass. Um, the winds blowing from the pole begin to subside, uh, subside and uh, approach almost nothing towards the surface. And for about 30 minutes, you're, you're swooping in these broad, curving arcs uh, to the northwest. Um, about 30 miles out over the ruins and back again, um, covering about 10 miles or so. And as you look out, you see the city. It stretches. Uh, so the, the mountain range is just this long wall of, of mountains going, um, uh, going northeast to southwest, uh, whatever that means in terms of being on the yeah, Antarctic. Um, and you can see the city it stretches at least as far as the horizon in both directions alongside um, the mountain range. What? The city? How big is the city? Uh, it goes from horizon to horizon along the mountain range. So it's big? It's very big. And then uh, away from the mountain range, um, it stretches, it seems to stretch about 30 miles or so, and then there's the, the plateau kind of, it begins to taper out into the plateau. Um, Moore is frantically sketching and scribbling in a small notebook as he as he's, his eyes are glued to the, the landscape and Starkweather in the other plane is directing the camera operator to get some film of, of the ruins. Is there any signs or indications of occupancy or activity? Lights, smoke, um, areas that look, you know, taken care of? Um, no, it seems completely ruined. The from what you can see, the entire city is uh, covered in snow and ice. Um, the the structures themselves are falling apart uh, in many in most cases, and there's no lights. There's no 
nothing that kind of indicates activity that you can see. Um, okay. There's uh, the the avenues and uh, streets, uh, such as they are, are covered in ice, uh, varying thickness. And you can kind of see underneath the ice of you know, various other dark shapes um, made out. Okay. So my primary concern right now is to try to spot with, the, with all the pilots on board. You know, one will be using the, the binoculars to try to find first a primary landing site that looks to be safe and usable, and then some backup emergency sites up to crash landing sites that at least yeah. would ensure a good chance of survival, and then also trying to spot where the other planes are. Because if, if they're up here somewhere, they either crashed or landed. Yeah. You're looking around, and you're, uh, you see the... Um, um, so you're in a plane with uh, Ralph DeWitt. Uh, no, that's not true. Dr. Halperin. Um, um, and uh, you're going to look down. Uh, first of all, uh, Halperin says, um, according to this, we're at 20,000 feet now. There's still a long way down. I don't think the plateau is at 20,000 feet. Oh, so the instrument's so, all fucked. In other words, in other words he's, he's saying we, we keep going? Yeah, there's there's still further down. Oh, okay. Let me just move you guys over to a vague map. While the airplanes traverse this terrifying landscape, gradually lowering to an altitude of 17,500 feet, less than 1,000 feet above the ice, the ancient, deserted nature of the city is repeatedly made clear. Ice spills from the stumps of shattered towers, great cracks and voids, ruined plazas, streets and walls, the colors visible are solely those of ice and rock. The city of the Elder Ones extends along the western side of the Miskatonic Range, at least 50 miles in either direction from the pass. You see no hint of it ending during your survey flight. In actuality, that's not for you. Um, Pixar didn't happen. So it's huge, this place. Yeah. To the northwest, away from the mountains, the city is only 30 miles wide, uh, gradually thinning out beyond that point into the plateau's barren interior. Buildings climb the terraced eastern foothills too, though not as thickly as on the plateau proper. A profusion of gaping cave mouths and their attendant structures covered the inward sides of the peaks, making it clear that those on the eastern side of the range were part and parcel of the same construction. A great river once ran down from the northwest, flowing through the city along a broad artificial channel, and passed between a pair of huge, disturbingly shaped towers before vanishing, vanishing through a strangely carved subterranean arch only a mile southwest of the pass. Now only the empty bed remains to mark its passing. Examining the towers using binoculars reveal them to be a huge barrel-shaped cylinders. Time and weather have scrubbed away all but the broadest details, but there can be little doubt that they once depicted the things found in the ice. Even from above, the sheer size and variety of the place is daunting. Colossal ruined structures are everywhere, new two alike. Decaying stubs of colossal ramparts separate unremarkable piles of stone. Once grand streets now hold only the remains of fallen buildings, towers and courtyards, often pentagonal, now are thrown together in ruin. 
Despite the universal devastation, the city's interior is far from inaccessible. Several plazas, the riverbed, and a few of the wider streets all provide usable landing sites, though most offer runways that are dangerously short for the heavily laden Boeings. Of most structures, little more is left than a splash of loosened stone or a suggestion of outline deep beneath the ice. Everywhere above the glistening surface, irregular mounds of stones are all that is left of stately towers and fortress-thick walls. A few noteworthy features stand out from the rest. A broad, circular plaza, nearly half a mile across, with a deep gaping pit in the center, a mile north of the empty riverbed. The northwestern half of the plaza is a towering mass of shattered stone, but the remainder is almost rubble-free, a shining crescent reflecting the silvery sky. A long black structure reminiscent of three glossy pyramids joined in a line through their corners stick up out of a morass of surrounding ruin five miles south of the riverbed and nearly ten miles west of the foothills. Three miles north of the plaza, close to the rising terrace of the city's eastern edge, a broad sinuous avenue almost a hundred yards wide winds for more than a mile between vanished edifices. Today the avenue is an unbroken expanse of clear ice, Large, dark objects spaced at, at regular intervals along the avenue can be vaguely seen deep beneath the surface. Twenty miles west of the foothills, the smooth span of an ancient bridge still crosses the empty riverbed. Today only the central arch is visible, the rest is lost below the glacial ice. Christ. White wisps of cirrostratus clouds cover most of the sky in a tangled web far above the plateau. They do not blur the outline of the sun, but the tiny suspended crystals of ice occasionally catch the red Antarctic daylight and cast it in breathtaking arcs and halos across the heavens. A thin fog hugs the lower slopes of the Miskatonic Range. Bits of fog are constantly snatched up and torn in long streaming fingers towards the city. The fog and the streamers persist as long as the powerful jet stream winds continue to roar through the pass. So this thing is massive. It's just like... Wow. We're not going to be able to do much more than just kind of try to document what's here. I mean... Because I don't think we have a whole lot of gear for exploration. I think we've seen... I think we, like, we, we can just go <laughs> home now. We've seen, we've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> After a long, wordless survey of the ruins, the river's end and the two barrel-shaped statues come into view once more. Professor Moore coughs and taps Halperin uh, on the shoulder and says, Let's land! Uh, so, he f- so let me see if I hear you right. You said these, these two barrel-shaped towers seem to be statues, and they seem to have the same barrel-shaped statues. symmetry. What was that? Barrel-shaped statues. Yeah, statues. Yeah. And you said they, they, re- they resemble the, the corpses of those animals. Yeah. And, and shape and, and stuff. They, they're very weathered uh, and worn down, but uh, it seems clear that uh, that's what they were once depicting. They don't have heads. Okay. Oh. Um, Moore flips back a few pages in, in his notebook. Uh, Halpern says, Where, sir? There! He points to a broad open area, uh, the plateau, or the, sorry, the plaza that uh, was described before. Land there if you can! Has anyone been taking pictures while we've been airborne? Yeah. Um, He's a okay. videographer, right? Yeah. Uh, d- uh, Michael, just a, just a question. So you're saying more, he's checking out his notes. He's going through a bag a few 
pages as if he has some sort of map of this place. Has he been here before? Does he know where we're supposed to land? Uh, Is that what that implies? I don't know. We have what I'm asking. I do know, but I'm not going to tell you what I know. I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, well, I'm confirming it. I, hear, I hereby confirm it. <laughs> he, ha he has uh, privileged notes or he's been here before. With a wave of the wings, the Weddell banks away from the Enderby and arcs toward this chosen site. Halperin flies low over the site, turning to get a good look at the ground below before climbing away and returning on a landing run. The heavy Boeing handled sluggishly unresponsively uh, in the thin plateau air. The landing in Moore's Plaza is rough and terrifying. The Weddell drops steeply over harsh, jutting stone towards rubble-strewn ice that rushes up far too quickly. Everyone aboard can see the treacherous bits of rocks and cracks that, f that mar the surface that seems smooth from above. Then, with a huge crump, the plane smashes into the earth, bouncing once and scraping across the uneven ice in a screech of stressed metal. Two hundred yards further on, the right ski catches on an embedded stone, causing the plane to yaw viciously to one side. Passengers, including more who, uh, who are not strapped in, get flung across the cabin. The aircraft, squealing, limps along another hundred yards and stops. Enderby, following a minute later, lands without mishap. For once, Starkweather's luck is good. The aircraft slides to a stop not far from the Weddell. So clearly the better pilot was in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this, this is an incredibly dangerous landing because nowhere even in the current world does an airplane land at that altitude. Uh, you know, all airports and, and runways are down in the breathable atmosphere where you'd have cities and populations. So the problem would be with the thin air, you have to land faster because there's mm. a lot less right. lift at, at lower speeds. So you have to maintain higher airspeed to maintain the same amount of lift. So you have to land a lot faster and on a regular ter terrain. That's pretty sketchy. Huh. That's really interesting. So you spend about 10 minutes or so uh, checking, you know, bruises and uh, getting survival gear on. Um, and you, you have these heavy pack frames that have the oxygen tanks on them. So you begin to kind of don those uh, and then uh, crack open the doors and carefully climb down onto the smooth ice. I was looking at the, the, the list of gear and it says these uh, oxygen tanks are 80 cubic feet of air, which is uh, roughly like uh, 2,000 liters. So they're, they're not small. It's, like, uh, it's a good size, I think, uh, depending on how much pressure is in there. But they must be pretty big, actually. I assume so. I don't know. How I don't know if they're like portable, yeah. like, uh, or if we have yeah. some small, more, more portable ones. Yeah. You definitely have portable ones. Whether those are the ones, let's see. Because I mean, eighty cubic feet, two thousand liters. It's uh, I don't know. It sounds so uh, sounds sounds pretty big to me. Yeah, but it's compressed, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but I mean, uh, it's not like a modern gas uh, air tank where you can have like three, two hundred, three hundred bars of compressed air. Yeah. I guess it's less. Uh, so they must be. Uh, I don't know about the technology at the time. But I think that, I think back then they could still compress. Uh, as much to that. Well, maybe yeah, not as much. So. I don't know. I'll. I'll. I'm actually. I'm. I'm pretty sure the answer will be in the book. So I'm glad I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not. It's not a big issue. I was just wondering. No, but I mean, obviously, brought it up though. I do think we should go over the manifests one more time. Because carrying that shit around is going to be bothersome. <laughs> yeah, but it's bothersome no, no matter what. You're uh, first yeah. of all, you're breathing through a small uh, rubbery tube that is constantly yeah. kind of spewing oxygen into your mouth. You're wearing masks, so you wear like a leather mask and then the, the tube kind of goes into your mouth. And yeah. you're donned in full polar gear, so everything is yeah. like at least twice as strenuous as it normally would yeah. be. 
Either times. way, uh, you're... Like we have fucking pyramids. You're things. aground in the city. It is 12.05 p.m. The altitude December is... December 16,800 feet. The temperature is minus 4 Fahrenheit, minus 20 Celsius. There's no wind. Does it get dark? Um, it does because the mountains are so tall and the sun dips below them, but um, it doesn't get... Uh, it doesn't get as black. Uh, you don't know this yet, so... What do you know? What do you know? What do, what do, you, what do you know, anyway? Um, and as you stand there, uh, the planes get powered down, and a silence falls on the city, and it's... Do we have plenty of oxygen left in the airplane's tanks to make the return trip? Uh, yes. Okay. Even after Belcour's hyperventilating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, but the question is, uh, if the wind doesn't change, right? We don't fly home, basically. Yeah. We can just like kind of let it slide down the, the hill. <laughs> a very long sleigh ride. Wait, I didn't get that. Why, why, do, why don't we fly home if the wind doesn't change? Because the, there's a gale blowing from, from the pole through the pass into the mountains. So you would have to go through that way and you, you can't. What's a gale and what, what does that gale, actually mean? A gale is like a storm. Right. Okay. So there's a storm. Yeah. That's not good. Okay. That's right. We're fucked. Okay. We have to hope it's not unless, a persistent effect. Well, unless we we go back by foot, because that's what I saw from the plane. There was actually, in theory, it should be possible to uh, to go by foot. Yeah, so the challenge would be oxygen. I say we race you to the bottom. Well, it depends how many people die, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, so you're you're standing on this ancient uh, ice. It's hard, smooth, and clear. Um, you can see vague suggestions of shape beneath it. Uh, all around you are these huge, rounded hulks of broken stone that are dark and unutterably sad. There's a dim red light that paints the pits and uh, hollows of their surfaces with amber and orange hues. Um, they look black in the light of the Antarctic sun. The sun, low over the tall spires of the mountains in the northeast, is still surrounded by a single halo. Drifts of snow and frost glimmer in the long shadows. Everything is still frozen uh, for who knows how long. The weight of years lies heavily on the city, thick and dark with forgotten lives. Change seems blasphemous here. Your voices and movements are unwanted intrusions in the sad dreaming of the stones. Overhead, thin, high wisps of vapor are the only things that move, like fine veils drawn across the city, hiding it from the eyes of time. Their subtle shifts and change suggest constant furtive movement, as if the stones themselves rearrange themselves without fuss each time you look away. The thin, high singing is the only sound, constant and eerie and mad, the sound of the wind and the high peaks piping far away. Even now, it chills the soul with its reminders of unguessed horror and blasphemous visions. So, do you think the the uh, sound, the piping, and the whistling could be like kind of a flute effect of that w the wind going through all those opening cave openings and in, in the cliffs? I can neither confirm nor deny. 
Shit, does, it, does these structures look like they were used by humans? No, as you begin to uh, take a closer look at them, uh, they seem disproportionate to, to humans. In fact, they're, they're, the, the way that they're built and the shapes they use, it seems utterly inhuman. What the fuck is this? Starkweather is in a grand move, mood as he exits his plane. He stamps about, kind of exclaiming uh, the good fortune of everyone um, and how he expects something big and mysterious. Um, he pumps Moore's hand and uh, says, you know, oh, thank you for the smooth ride, the smooth ride to the pilots. Um, then he calls everybody around the planes. Uh, he's, everybody's wearing these breather masks, so you're, you're basically kind of like this all the time. Um... <laughs> You see, Morb doesn't really pay attention. He's looking around intently, um, his face unreadable behind the goggles and the mask. Starkweather says, Gentlemen, this is a momentous day. A momentous day. Today we've set foot in unknown land. And all around us are the relics of a fabulous forgotten city. Who knows what lies beyond it? What treasures are within? Not I. But we're going to find out, aren't we? Just as soon as we settle in. Now let's hop to and set up proper camp, and then we'll start in a real, the real business of the day, looking about. Now, what say you? I, I didn't hear any of that. Sounded like Maybe we Charlie should uh, Brown use some of their structures. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should use some of their structures uh, as for a, a camp. Uh. Ah, that's a fantastic idea. He begins to uh, get the uh, the other people to help out and carry the equipment out, you know, from the plane and whatnot. So if there's a nearby structure that, that could house us, uh, that would be good shelter, I guess. Yeah. Better than... Yeah, and for the extensive level of exploration that's going to be needed, we need to start stockpiling oxygen. So like, we need to move all the oxygen supplies into that facility if we find one. And then you know, we may have to make multiple trips to bring oxygen up here to keep the whoever's going to do the exploring supply. Yeah. I think we, um, we really need to get the fucking generator to create oxygen from I guess even though the air is thin I, I guess if you leave a generator running for a while it could still fill a bottle theoretically do you have no, I don't think you, you couldn't a... fill it up here I don't think right because you have to it's going to pull from the ambient air and if there's not enough oxygen uh, maybe yeah is there even a uh, is there equipment for filling up air tanks uh, doesn't sure. say anything in that case I remember there's equipment for scrubbing carbon dioxide right um. Well, meanwhile, um, you, Avery, and Halperin, uh, with Ralph, DeWitt, and Patrick Miles, uh, the air crew, you begin to uh, look over the planes, and um, um, the you inspect the undercarriage of the Weddell, which is the plane you came in. Um, yeah. And the damage seems minimal. the The right ski is bent uh, almost in two, uh, so it has to be straightened and reattached. Which can okay. you, know, you can do in the next day or so. Okay. Um, and uh, you begin to set out Maunus and uh, uh, Belcour um, to see what's available for, for setting up a campsite. Mm-hmm. And Actually, uh, Avery, I, I think maybe it's a good idea to fix the plane straight away, just in case we need to get out of here. Yeah, so can we do a, just a, any kind of a... Uh, you know, temporary fix just to be able to take off once on it um, you might be able to but it'll it'll take some time anyway okay because it's it's a it's a lot of work you don't necessarily have all the the best tools for it either so it'll it'll take a little bit you're not getting out of here anymore. 
Um, great. So, uh, how, how are we in the for fuel? How's the fuel state on the planes? It, it's fairly good. Um, you begin to, to talk a little bit about what would it take uh, to if you were to f- have to fly back. So, if you can't go through the pass, the question is, um, you know, what what then? Then you would have to go around the mountain range, which, um, as far as you know, stretches. Um, quite far, you know, hundreds of miles. So you'd have to go around and, and then fly back up uh, alongside it to get to the camp again. And that's, you might be able to do it with the fuel you have, but it'll be a little bit of a stretch for sure. Okay. So we actually have a sled, but no dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Guess we can write it down. We can write it down. You're the dog now, man. <laughs> Somebody dissected all the dogs. <laughs> Tom, was that you? <laughs> but I was curious. What was inside? Um, you find a place, um, an old uh, partial ruin about 40 uh, yards away from the edge of the plaza. Uh, and it doesn't take more than an hour or so uh, to move all of the um, cargo into the overhanging stone ceiling. And set up the, you have three oxygen uh, sleeping tents. Um, and you I guess the, even the buildings are covered in snow inside as well. Yeah, but it's it's relatively easy to like they're they're not necessarily covered in a lot of snow because there there has been wind kind of moving through. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's it's not too hard to clear out and, and make you know as livable as, as you can kind of get it. Okay. So you no, get, but I was actually thinking a, a bit of snow would be useful for hmm. uh, setting up the tents. Oh, anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's plenty of it to go around. So. Um. Meanwhile, Moore is uh, taking readings with a barometer, um, and um, you can see him consulting uh, Dr. Green at some uh, for some time. Is there any kind of vegetation around, like old trees or anything like that? No. Anything, anything that would burn? It's all stone and ice. Yes. That's why they left. Yeah. <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> they chopped down all the trees and left. Yeah. Classic human move. <laughs> Is, is the Lexington plane here also? No, you didn't see it. Oh. What about a radio contact with them? Radios are uh, have been dead for, um, at least during the, the trip through the pass. Oh, so they might have crashed, got lost, we just don't know. Yeah. And there's really nothing we can do about it. Uh, not that you know of, right? Got it, okay. We could launch a flare so they can see us, at least. That might be helpful for them. Yeah. Do you have flares? We have. Yeah, you do. One inch flare pistol, box of 10 flares. Cool. I, um, I ask uh, Stark, uh, Stark whether if it's a good idea to point them in this direction or we should keep this for ourselves. Um, that's a good question. We might be wise to keep our position a little hidden for now okay no flares then who knows what else might be watching Um, what what he knows something more uh, calls the team together Um, his voice is pretty thin and muffled uh, difficult to hear behind the mask Um, but he removes his mask and nose clip and begins to speak 
And he says, uh, so we have some good news, friends. Uh, according to our instruments, the plateau is actually uh, more than 3,000 feet closer to the sea level than we expected. So the air, accordingly, is thicker, which means that we don't have to need as much oxygen. Now, uh, Dr. Green has informed me uh, that if we're careful, uh, you can dispense with extra oxygen when engaged in activities that don't require physical exertion. Nevertheless, uh, everyone has to continue carrying the tanks and use them as we walk from place to place and carry loads. And we'll continue to use the sleeping tents as planned and acclimatize uh, to the altitude over the next few days. Uh, and in this way, we may be able to stretch our stay here from three days to maybe a week, maybe even longer. We'll see. Uh, it's possible some of you um, may acclimate to the point where we'll, you'll be able to go without oxygen completely for a time, but uh, you should be really careful. Um, and if any of you experience any symptoms like headaches, nausea, chest pains, blackouts, use your oxygen and, and see Dr. Green at once. Uh, let's not take any chances. And then he pauses for a moment. On that note, um, two more things. First, as soon as the camp is complete, all of you should rest. Uh, we won't do any heavy work today. We have to let our bodies adjust to the thin air. You can wander about a little bit if you like, but don't leave the area and don't attempt any climbing or hard labor. And secondly, a warning. These ruins were built. Uh, they may be inhabited. There could be animals here, maybe even people. So be alert, uh, be careful, be ready to defend yourselves. Don't go anywhere alone outside the camp. If you hear or see anything un unexpected, uh, let somebody else know before you investigate. And uh, if you have one, I suggest you carry a gun. And that's all. Thank you. Professor Moore, did, did you know that the city was here before we arrived? Um, I, the Germans had um, a document that they had gotten hold of. And um, uh, I didn't believe it. I didn't think it would be true. Uh, I can I can give it to you. You can read it uh, if you want to. But um, I didn't expect this would happen. And he he kind of turns and walks back towards the the camp as people begin to disperse and, and mumble among themselves. Okay, so so um, nearby buildings are they are they equipped? Like, is there stuff in there, or is it really just? They're, they are empty aside from uh, rubble and um, uh, ice and snow. Um, so hold on one second. Why don't I just skim over this? So just to give you... I'm just going to give you this information now because otherwise I'm going to forget. Oxygen sleeping tents. So you can't use your masks when you're sleeping. Uh, there's like a... Um, um, let's see. So you have oxygen tents um, inside. It's a two-man tent. There's a whole bunch of science. Uh, there's that's where the caustic soda is used, by the way. Um, if you remember from the wonderful manifests. Um, ba -ba -bum. you can't smoke or f have a fire and generally the idea is to try to um, use up your oxygen tank before you enter the tent um, so you don't because you, you connect your oxygen tank to the tent um, so 
you use it up, attach a new one so you don't wake up uh, dead. Um, the tanks in normal use average for about six hours. Um, with tanks in normal use on average for about six hours, eight hours of sleeping. A standard oxygen tank containing 80 cubic feet of oxygen will last a member about two and a half days, including sleeping periods. Six men can sleep at any one time. So two days, that's actually, that means we are actually not, I mean, we really just have oxygen for like three days if it wasn't, if it was actually really higher than yes. the original that's, that's what was planned for. Yeah. All right. So you're. Um, uh, to, to, just a comment here. I was just going back and checking some earlier notes because there are a few things that I remember. And uh, we went to the memorial for J.P. Douglas, which was this guy who died on the yeah he in was, New York, I think. That's right. He was the captain uh, who had been on the previous expedition and whom uh, Starkweather um, had hired for this expedition and he wound up dead right and then we went to the mor memorial and we spoke to his, his brother Philip Douglas and he mentioned something he said the one thing that he'd heard I suppose his brother mentioned was that when they were off on the ice then one one member of the crew attacked another one and then ran into the snow was never seen again and some ice black stones were found and they were very cold and this J.P. Douglas apparently had touched the stones and he had lost two fingers. And then after, afterwards he never wanted to go back to the ice again. Um, and he'd also gone a little crazy. But just that detail there, that there were some ice black stones that were found and they were very cold and touching them possibly made him lose his fingers. So, considering we're just landing in this ancient city, maybe we should uh, just... Be aware of that. Just let some Nazis touch the stones first. <laughs> if their fingers don't fall off, we're good. So put a Nazi on a stick and just like. Yeah, th that was one thing. Another thing was that uh, I noted earlier that the Basmeyer Falcon expedition, the German expedition, they also had an airship. Is that right? Yep. So, but they're not. There's no sign of that where we are now because that seems like wouldn't that be a better option to go over the pass with an airship than an airplane? Uh, I don't think it'd go that high. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's probably true. It probably yeah. can't go that high, and it's fairly slow as well in terms of moving. Across. Yeah, it'd be much more a victim of the winds. Those fierce yeah, winds yeah. throw it against a mountain yeah. peak. Yeah, through that. Yeah, I don't understand the German fascination with these airships. We, love we need to talk I see no future it. in it. We need to talk more to more because I think that he because he, he said the Germans have a document that obviously has information about this that yeah. we are not privy to. How does how does more see it? How does more know? Yeah. So that's making me suspicious. Um. So just to follow up on uh, uh, Bill Coors, uh question, and then we can go back to the other one. Um, so you're standing on the plaza just to give you kind of a sense of, of this uh, this area. It's about 550 yards across. Um, the Starkweather Moor aircraft are on the eastern edge of this broad crescent uh, of level ice. Uh, and this looks like it was once a, a great circular plaza um, surrounded by these grand edifices. In the center, there's um, you can see from the air, there's a, a, a big pit 
um, surrounded by a mound of, of rubble. Um, somebody suggests that it might once have been a tower uh, that has uh, fallen and crumbled. Um, there are five broad avenues uh, that radiate outward uh, to other parts of the city, um, similar to kind of how when you stand, you know, at uh, Arc de Triomphe in Paris, you have these big avenues that, that kind of stretch out from the center. In the center of, of the uh, plaza, there's um, this circular pit about 200 feet across. Um, and let's see. About half of the plaza to the north and west uh, is choked with rubble uh, and beyond um, at the edge. Let's see. You don't have a map of this? Um, so the map that uh, actually I do have a map of this. Just so we can get the lay of the land and just distances. And yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the plaza. Um, and where you see the, the, the rubble is essentially more or less um, uh, impassable. Uh, uh, so is this like a map of this ancient city, basically? No, this is a map just of the plaza that you're on. Oh. So you're just you're standing kind of in the, you know, at, at the edge where you see the little, the planes are parked. Um, Right. You're standing there, and then like this plaza, which is about 550 yards across, you, it just kind of stretches out of, before you. Um, okay. And yeah, yeah, it's it's fairly big. Um, all right. Uh, so just also to follow up on a little detail, uh, Avery, the. Um, is about 500 miles northeast to the shore and then 200 miles along the coastline and then you'd have to double back along uh, the mountains to get to the lakes camp so that's what that looks like okay uh, and so looking at this map it kind of looks like the, the spiral pit is kind of the central feature <laughs> yeah um, you're free to saunder over there if you want Let's saunder. You, um, you, you, you approach, and you can see that it's it. It looks like it might once have been a tower of some sort, and it's been completely crumbled. Um, and at the center of this mound, you you climb up on it. There's a hole into the ground of about let's see, sixty feet, um, and uh, there's a smooth ice floor uh, at the bottom, kind of strewn with rubble. Um, there's a, a broad spiral ramp, which uh, kind of sweeps uh, down the sides of the pit. Um, and at the end, it, it kind of turns into the center of the, the circular floor. You can see low rounded arches at the bottom of the pit. Um, many are choked with rubble. Um, and you you can just make out what seems to be between the archways and along the sides of the the ramp these um, deeply incised um, murals in the walls. Oh wow! I want to inspect those. Yeah, we should go take a look. Do we have we are, I assume we have electric torches, right? We yeah. Take that's part of adventuring gear. Yeah. Um, we have, we have, let's take our rope with us too. So you um, 
you begin to make your way down um, the ramp, uh, which... We let the, the other guys know that we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that the... So you, you can make your way down to the bottom, um, and you can see the walls between uh, the arches are covered with these gigantic murals um, that are superbly drawn, and um, despite um, who knows how much uh, exposure to weather, um, they've been um, incised in such a way that they're, they're still mostly legible. And um, they spiral upwards in bands that are... Uh, 10 feet high uh, all the way up to the top of the pit um, so logic, is, there, is there a pattern to them like you know, if they spiral up or down uh, yeah so start at the top or bottom uh, well, anyone's guess okay. well might as well go down so might as well check them out as we go down so I want to check out the murals, like see if there's like uh, anything understandable in these. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what do they depict? You seem to. It seems to depict scenes of the plaza as it once was, uh, a broad open space with uh, soaring needle-capped spires in its center, um, avenues of uh, trees marching along grassy swards with curving rows of pyramids and lesser towers in the distance. And uh, there are kind of alternate boxy panels of this, um, these kind of dot patterns that, uh, Belcour, you also noticed on the mountaintops. Um, and there are it's, like, it's like they're writing, could it be? It seems possible. Um, there are also various interior scenes and kind of less obvious... I can, I can spend some archaeology points here if, uh, if that would make any difference. It might... Hold on one second... Maybe even occult points. <laughs> um, so, and then beyond that, uh, at the bottom, you see several of the low archways um, at the pit, uh, at the base of the pit, has been uh, have been cleared of rubble. Um, the passageways beyond uh, descend slightly as they lead away in various directions. Is it has been cleared recently? Um, give me an evidence collection spend. I don't have do it. The, do the dot patterns stick outward like like braille? Like no, they, it's the other way around. They're indented. Shitty braille. Yeah. Nope. No, actually, evidence collection. So I have one point left. Spend it. I'll spend it. You find just inside one of the archways um, that's been carefully cleared of fallen uh, masonry, you uh, find... Um, a yellowed paper, piece of paper, pressed into the crack of the interior stone. Whoa. Whoa. I I shall pick it out carefully. Okay. Um, It's just a torn piece of paper. There's no writing on it, but uh, it's obviously from a notebook of some sort. Um, And you can see as you fold it out that the the pieces that have been exposed to to weather um, are yellowed, whereas the other ones are less so. Okay, so definitely somebody's been here before. I guess maybe uh, since the Germans knew about it, they yeah, might could, have actually been here before. Could this be old enough for the, maybe the previous expedition? That's so what that, I'm thinking, but 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 uh, how come 
this was still a secret then. I mean, this would be the biggest discovery in the world. Well, and maybe it's a, it's not a secret to the uh, some upper elite that wants to get here first. They have to claim something of value that they don't want the world to well, know. Maybe about, they right? know this. Maybe they know about a treasure in this place. Wouldn't yeah, be wouldn't be impossible. I mean, maybe all these expeditions are just a front for you know um, to come here to retrieve it and act on that information. The explore. I mean, the exploration part might be the front. This piece of paper, did it just sort of blow into a crack or did somebody literally rip off a piece of paper from a notebook, fold it up and carefully stick it into the wall? It looks very much like it was placed there. So For no purpose curious. whatsoever. It's like it's a trail. Prob- I know, I know, I know. It's probably written with like lemon juice <laughs> and then when you hold it over a, over a candle, then like secret writing pops up. Uh, I'm going to need a sanity check on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep the paper for now, though. Um, cool. Um, so you can... Um, let me see. Do, 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 do. So we can infer from this, human beings have been here, and human beings have already explored what we're seeing for the first time. So this knowledge has gotten out, and it probably is with the knowledge that more has or and the Germans have and other leaders of the expeditions have that we we don't. So we don't know what's going on. They're not being honest and open with us. Yeah. Uh Belcour, um you can spend uh uh I give you up to three points of archaeology if you want. Okay, I'll spend all three. Alright. No time like the present. Yeah, we need to know. What we, yeah, we need to get some kind of info. That's uh, I'm spending all my archaeology points now, though. That's all of them. Mm-hmm. Shit. <laughs> I mean, three points is a that's a massive spend. Shit. Give me some good shit. So you spend some time uh, studying the the mural um, in this place and. Um, are there any creatures on it, or is it just pictures of the city? There are. There are um, those creatures that uh, you found earlier, mm. and in fact, the the city seems to be inhabited by them. Um, oh. You see that uh, it seems that um, they, as far as you can tell, anyway. Actually, let me just let me just scan this stuff because there's. So, so they're not monsters, then. They're they're an intelligent. Actually, it's intelligence. Yeah, it's a civilization, a civilization older than humanity by what millions of years? Because if if it depicts palm trees and stuff, trees in the in the courtyard, that's like Antarctica in like you know, like Precambrian. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it, the city. I mean, it wouldn't have stood for a million years, right? So, I don't know if it's completely undisturbed up here in a frozen wasteland. Maybe they just moved out because of the climate change. Yeah, it went through an ice age, and uh, yeah. this is like pre-ice age would be when it was all, you know, fossilized stuff in Antarctica that shows palm fronds and stuff is all uh, pre-ice age. Hmm. So you you see, um, it seems like the this was a city inhabited by these creatures, and from what you can tell, they had a. They used another um, 
creature or race or something uh, as kind of a servitor um, to them, um, like a slave. Humans? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's generally um, uh, signified with this naughty uh, symbol, um, and uh, they use them to help build the city uh, and um, uh, do menial labor for them, essentially. What did it look like? Um, is it just a symbol that doesn't show? It's the... just this, like it looks like a knot, essentially. Oh, okay. Um, penguins. It's probably penguins. Um, you you see that um, it seems that uh, they could fly, um, and uh, if you're reading it correctly, um, that they arrived on Earth uh, in this great migratory wave across space. Whoa, it's aliens. Jesus. This is like completely fucking insane. They colonized colonized Earth like before there was any real significant... And then realized the weather was shit and left. (laughs) Damn it. There there goes my Earthfront condo. Time to get out of here. Time to change. It's coming. (laughs) Um, They seem to possess uh, strange senses unknown uh you know to to humans um and it seems I'm just like talking I'm, I'm i'm like talking out loud like mumbling and coming out with some phrases while i'm studying these uh these things uh in the the pale light of my torch it seems like um there there's a actually i don't want to save that for later So, I'm totally so into this. I think I'm so digging so it's this. It's definitely a logical step to say that. Well, I can see why there would be a conspiracy of secrecy over this because if this is you know otherworldly aliens with yeah, technology and knowledge, huge. I mean, what you could gain from this remnants of this civilization would be enough to put any government in on top. You know, decisively. Yeah. I'm sure the Germans they're going to suicide all of us before they. They leave. So that's what that's what worries me, right? I mean, so yeah. how much of this stuff? I guess we need to decide how open and how much do we want to share this, even with more, because we they're not being honest with us. So do we want to like try to figure this out for ourselves and, and not? Because you yeah, know, when you start question. to highlight how much you know, <laughs> then people might want to eliminate you based on you knowing too much. Uh, I don't know. My 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 head is too filled with all this amazing stuff to to really consider the consequences right now. But it's. It certainly means we can't trust anyone. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should just be a bit discreet for now. Maybe, maybe that's the whole reason the other expedition got killed off. But uh, didn't Moore say that he would give us access to this book he got from the um, from the Germans or these notes that had indicated that? Yeah, there might so he be definitely seem open about it. Yeah, let's, so let's check but, out. But that. why share it now? I mean, definitely. Yeah, he was definitely waiting. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said he didn't believe it. I mean, he just got. Yeah. This, these whack ideas and then turned out to be true. So that I so so yeah, we definitely need to have a conversation with him and try to plumb him for information and see if now that he, now that he can believe it because he's seen it, maybe now he can share information. Yeah, we we need to corner him and say what the fuck is going on. Yeah. You also see that uh, they would bury their dead in vertical holes under a five-sided mound. Hmm. So five five sides. So is that because we're seeing a theme there? 
That's so, a, the caves as well. Some of them were five sided. Look, look at the plaza. The picture of the plaza is like a yeah, Pentagon. it's like a, a pentagon. And then that little star thing. Yeah, the creatures themselves are like have are essentially five sided, so to speak. So can we infer from that like symmetry, right? So for from human beings, ten fingers. So if they are if their number is five, then we know that they're going to count by fives. So maybe we can. Oh, a bit possible. more about like their numbers and stuff. With that, you, those... you also notice that with with that uh, little insight that the the dot patterns that uh, you've seen around um, are also arranged in fives. So there's like a, a pentagonal okay. uh, system to it. So maybe those are numbers. It seems to be some some sort of writing anyway. Uh, what exactly is hard to figure out. Is there someone amongst us who has a skill that might be able to start taking notes and, like, you know, try to try to learn? But, I have bureaucracy. Uh, <laughs> like, if, like if we find a Rosetta Stone kind of a thing. No, like a crypt. Yeah, cryptography. Does anybody have? I, cryptography? I think I do have cryptography. Let me see. I don't have it. It's my character sheet. I have one point of cryptography. Spend it. I will spend it if I, if I can spend here. Can I spend it? Uh, I think so. Why the hell not? Okay. Do it. <laughs> um, it says the, the the people depicted here are not actual factual. <laughs> 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 Any resemblance to living creatures? Really <laughs> um, coincidence. <laughs> no, but of course, clearly, this is uh, their own mythology sort of thing. So this could be, uh, you know, entirely made up. Exaggerated, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like just like uh, we humans uh, believe we are from a god, maybe they had uh, similar beliefs. Let's see. So just to, to finish off the archaeology spend, um, there... It seems that uh, they... Um, in space and during their uh, uh, first period on Earth, uh, they fought strange creatures. Hmm. And sometimes... Would that be... Oh. Uh, sometimes strange creatures uh, would also come to Earth from outer space. Okay. Intergalactic battle on the South Pole. Because why not? This is where aliens come to... It depicts all these aliens as like enemies and then fighting them, or do they coexist and they're friends? Um, it's a little hard to tell. I mean, there's definitely uh, there's definitely signs of um, uh, fighting. Mm. Um, good. Beyond that, um, you so so they'll have weapons. Just yeah, uh, there's actually uh, there there's signs of obviously like using mechanical technology, um, and then uh, I'll give you this one as well: uh, using mechanical technology, but also deliberately abandoning it. Mm. Um, finally, uh, for your one point uh, cryptography spend, I will give you um, I'll give you something a little later. You, you begin to discern just very simple ideas from from them, uh, like uh, up or down, you know, that kind of okay. thing. But but very very simple stuff. Um, okay. 
So that's very helpful though, because if there are like if, if they're among if they're labels for tunnels and stuff, maybe we can start. To... Yeah. So, is the, does the rock seem to be normal rock? Is it is it just cool to the touch or cold or? Yeah, it it seems like normal rock. It uh, just to, in, in case you were wondering, it doesn't seem like what Jens was describing earlier. So they 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 basically like built into the mountains, or is it like chopped off somewhere else and placed in like bricks? Uh, it's chopped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the yeah. they're the the. Um, the rocks themselves are very big. Yeah, well, they had labor force, it looks like. So, yeah. like, you know, building the pyramids and stuff was probably nothing to them. Yeah. Um, also, it helps I, if you can fly, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Michael, uh, I have astronomy, and I'm wondering this, this whole five-point theme. Oh. Uh, maybe I can spend some astronomy points and see if there's any link to between the, these patterns and maybe... Star constellations mm. or anything like that? Yeah, what if, yeah, in the mural, do they depict star constellations and maybe like where they're flying from in space or something? I'll throw two points at that. Two. Uh, I only have one point to, to give you. Fuck. Um, it's, it's, it's a good observation. You, you begin to look at it, um, but the, the way they've depicted the stars, um, it is not. Uh, it, it doesn't resemble the way the stars look from Earth. It's clearly th- today. Th- what the star sign would be from from a different viewing point, I suppose. Or from a different yeah. time point. Time that, that long ago. Well, then, then it's very long ago. Yeah, very, very. Yeah. Please tell me somebody has still has points in uh, evidence collection. Oh, shit. I'm, all, I'm out. I, think I don't have it. I don't have it either. You guys... I got zero. How, how, how much can I get for zero? Yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is I didn't spend any points in evidence collection, but the bad news is I don't have any. I don't have any, yeah. <laughs> I have, here's what I have. I have accounting. I have, yeah, I have chemistry. I have craft. I don't know if that's any good. I have a super high credit rating. I have physics. So craft, what does that mean? You can knit? Yeah, fix stuff. Yeah, do you Next want some mittens? Right. Um, uh, geology? I have geology. What about sense trouble? Oh, I have, I have sense trouble. Yeah, a very high number. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to sense any trouble. <laughs> give me, all of you, uh, give me a sense trouble. I don't have A roll? Yeah, it's yeah. just, uh, well, the, you just roll. Oh. And you can choose to spend points. It's a general ability. Okay, I'm going to spend two points in that. <sighs> Six? Is that good? Oh, well, you're good. Right. Um, you find uh, tucked away underneath uh, the uh, the ramp. Um, you find uh, a snow-covered hummock and three long, uh, low mounds. It's about three feet high, about five feet across, uh, carefully hard-packed uh, with snow, uh, and artfully molded into a five-pointed starfish shape. I don't understand what it is we're finding. So a mound is uh, like it's like this. The hummock is a little bit more kind of like this. <laughs> so basically, it's like it's a like a dirt mound that they've shaped into shape. Snow, snow covered, yeah. Snow, snow covered. Yeah. So, so um, you find a pile of dirt. Yeah, you it. find a pile of dirt. Congratulations, well done. <laughs> um, you. 
So you, you begin to look into it. Uh, the, the snow-covered mounds are, uh, there's three of them, and they are uh, the Nansen sledges um, that were used by the lake party. Um, you find just a few scraps of paper as you begin to kind of uncover it. Um, you find an empty box that once contained provisions. Uh, it's date stamped uh, 1930. Um, the, the sledges are empty, and you notice that the runners on all three sledges have been removed. Huh. So they're unusable. The hummock um, is about three feet high, five feet across. It's a star, a five-pointed starfish shape. It's eerily reminiscent of the heads of the uh, things you found in the ice. And, and the, the sledges were in, in it? No, they were Buried next to it, it, separate next from it. it. And it's capped by a star-shaped piece of soapstone uh, similar to the one that you, fa- excuse me, that you found in, um, in the cave. Hmm. That? Should we dig into it? Yes. Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's what's strange. So, well, here's what's strange to infer from this, right? It's like which came first, because obviously, if the mound the mound looks indicative of it would have been constructed by the, the inhabitants of the city, right? So, if you infer that that was their first, and then the lake expedition came and that and placed their their carts there, they would have excavated that thing or looked, you know. So that does that mean it came after? In which case, there's these things running around. <laughs> Or they made it. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm yeah. happy you're discussing this because it will uh, incur a stability check. <laughs> um. All right. Let's see what happens when you don't have any more stability points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good good question. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Time to read the books because this is happening now. <clears throat> I'm out. St- stability. All right. Oh, damn. Oh, ah, I cannot roll on this dang roller. It's a slaughterhouse. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, that's a cost of um, two Belcour, one Jens, uh, and. What? So three. I'm on, officially on minus one Avery. stability. That yeah. can't be good. No, you're right. It can't. Uh, let's see how bad it is. I'm basically. So, oh. Uh, this is too much for me now. <laughs> So there is there is one way to uh, by the way uh, to recover uh, stability, which is to use drink um, the blood of a fellow player. Yes, and uh, here's <laughs> you have to roll a die. Um, you so there's this thing called uh, hard drivers and soft drivers, where um, it might occur in the scenario that there's something you, as a player, don't want to do, but your character has a drive. So that drive could be adventure, um, for instance. And uh, so, you know, the, the player is saying, that sounds like a really bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but the game master is saying, yes, but you have adventure as a drive. Um, yeah. And if you choose to go with that, then that can actually give you stability points back. And if you choose to go against it, it might actually cost you, depending on whether it's a hard or a soft driver. Okay. Well, I have, I have adventure as a drive, so maybe that will help me out here. Yep. Um, and Jens, in case you don't remember your uh, drive, what it means, it means uh, trying to relive past, uh, like a, a, a past feeling that you haven't been able to kind of get again in UI. Okay. 
Uh, and then beyond that, there's also the possibility of doing a psychological triage. So we can always look into that. Mm. Ooh, that sounds naughty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not that kind of a triage. <laughs> All right. So. Menage a triage. <laughs> On ice. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps the swelling down. Is uh, Radio Terror dead? Oh, no, it's. I think it's playing a very low wind sound. It mostly sounds like static. Maybe we should find something better. <laughs> All right. Oh, there we go. But, by the way, it's not called Radio Terror for me. Uh, in my iTunes, it's listed as Internet Songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's sli- slightly less scary, I have oh, to okay. say. <laughs> it's uh, otherworldly easy listening. <laughs> I have it listed as Radio Terror here on my yeah. media player. This is what the what the creatures they listen to when they go shopping. This is like supermarket <laughs> sounds. Their music, the music, yeah. elevator music. This is their music, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like increases consumption for monsters. All right, so if your stability ranges actually from zero to minus five, you're shaken. Uh, so you can still do your job, but you seem distracted. You can't spend points from the pools of your investigative abilities. Ouch. Oh, that's terrible. Ouch. And difficulty numbers for all general abilities increase by one. Wait, uh, investigative abilities, are these all of them? Like academic, technical? Those are all the ones that are not general. It's a good good thing I just spent all my archaeology points then, I guess. Yeah. Like, you can't even spend uh, athletics points. Uh, No, that's general. That's that's general. This so is that's worrying, okay. though, because all of our characters are about to go into this range, and so theoretically that's going to be the entire rest of the scenario. So how do we investigate if we can't spend? That's a good question. Uh, I'm going to try. Either I'll uh, at some point deus ex machina uh, use some points, or um, uh, we'll see if there aren't some hard drivers coming up soon. Okay. Or we all take off, off our clothes and do some triage on ice. Okay. Or I'm I'm gonna drink the blood of all you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Those are options. They all suck. <laughs> Stuff is not actually in the rules. You don't have to do it, but I guess I can't stop you. <laughs> um, okay, so you you excavate the the mound, and um, it reveals uh, you find uh, first a piece of toplin um, inside of it, and as you begin to dig further you find that there's a human body inside of it okay now we know which came first carefully (laughs) laid out lowered vertically into a five foot shaft in the ice the body is uh, deep frozen and perfectly preserved right this might be the missing dude right is it dressed like Uh, is it dressed no it's uh it's naked somebody Mm. tried to triage and (laughs) And um, you're, uh, David, you're thinking of uh, Getney, Paul Getney. Yeah. So does the body have any markings, any tattoos, scars? Is it, any, is it at all recognizable facial features, hair, um, it has, age? It has uh, a beard. Beyond that, um, uh, probably like an anchor tattoo or something. I don't know. There might be some stuff, yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, so like, how old does it appear to be? Like, is, it, is it preserved and seems like a recent body? It's perfectly preserved. Uh, why are you thinking about Paul Getney and well, is that his name exactly? Because it was not the guy who ran off. It, I thought the the uh, account was that there was one that person ran off. There was one person missing from the uh, yeah. burial um, 
uh, or from the uh, uh, the story went from the uh, previous expedition that there was one person missing and that um, right. this person had there was rumors slash you know um, conjecture that that person might have um, gone crazy. Oh. No what was his, what was his name? It wasn't Getney. It wasn't Gibney or something like that. Getney. Because I can't find him in Paul hmm? G E D N E Y Getney. Right. Is there any right. obvious okay. cause of death, like trauma to the body? That is a oh, but good question. Wasn't it George Getney? I could use medicine here, but I'm too distracted. Um, it's possible it's George Gedney. I think it's Paul Gedney. I have. I Paul. think it's George Gedney. because in when we found the monsters, the aliens, then in tent five there was a bed that had been ransacked, no bed rolls, but there was a notebook with pages missing, apparently called Ex Libris, or I don't know if Ex Libris means something else. And that this was supposedly George Gedney's notebook. Uh, let's assume so. Uh, so it's either Paul or George. One of them is correct. Um, it's it's the one that's correct. <laughs> or Ringo. And, and, and you have we have that notebook. Is that correct? Is his notebook? It's back at camp. Uh, apparently, we took that, but there were pages missing, so I don't know. If so, it's in, so, uh, so when we get back to camp, we can compare the ripped out pages that were wedged in the wall with that notebook and see if they match. Ooh, now we're talking. When you get back. When if. So. I think these creatures are running around because I think these creatures are the ones that buried the body in the five pointed thing. Yeah, so, who buried this body? Yeah. Or some human was sort of. Uh, or maybe Getney himself was sort of like brain invaded and uh, he started digging this five-pointed hole and then killed himself and threw himself into it <laughs> I mean it, start, I'm, it starts to make sense now like we're thinking about the massacre of the previous expedition and the way every, we found everything trashed and like the dogs all dissected yes, these creatures that... are out here running around <laughs> maybe they yeah maybe they did it yeah I guess they could be curious about the anatomy of a dog I suppose but then why would they carefully preserve Getney's body? And not... I don't know. Is it carved? He's in a five-pointed uh, hole? Is that it? Vertically yeah. buried? Yeah, it's uh, a five-feet-deep hole, and um, so it goes a little bit in, and then like uh, ice has been kind of... Or, sorry, uh, snow has been... They've been... Some star-shaped thing has been made out of the snow uh, around... But does five it look feet deep. That it, like it was, hmm? was it dug out in ice? Uh, yeah, part of the part of the hole was dug out of, of uh, into the ice to make room. because no, five, five feet deep, five stars. That's that symmetry. So that's like, that would have like a significance, a religious significance, or something to those creatures. Does anybody have something? Uh, actually, give me uh, if you want uh, another sense trouble. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not going to spend points because so, if we're all rolling, the chances are someone will make read, it. Read me out your results. Two. One. <laughs> Three. That's what, yeah, I, I, that's that's what I call sense trouble. No trouble is sensed. Great. Good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there's no trouble if you can't see it, right? <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. The, the bug bladder beast of trawl. If you can't see it, it can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> I wrap my towel around my head. <laughs> uh, so um, well, beyond that, you... Uh, so I think, Tom, I, I forgot if I answered this. You asked a little while ago, are there any ways out of here? There are, some of those archways have uh, pathways that leave in, uh, into the dark, uh, kind of curving down a little bit. Um, most of them are blocked. All right, let's... Uh, ice. Uh, rubble. Ice. I, you I guys mean, if those creatures like are here... Well, if those creatures are here and their city is trashed up on the upper level... They're definitely going to be down in the, the basement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I feel like a nap. I mean, I think maybe. I think maybe at this point we should go back up. Maybe try to get some more information, take stock of what's going on, and figure maybe you know if we need to regroup and get supplies and reprovision but ourselves. For shouldn't we see if we can get that notebook from Moll that the Germans had? Yeah, German notes that he had. Since he said he was willing to share it, let's let's see what they found out earlier. Okay, let's go and talk yeah. to him or find out what the fuck is going on. And tell him about our find. Yeah, because before we go down a dark hole, it, something it looks like it already came out of and buried this, this dude. Yeah. Right. Uh, who would know? Also, who would know what Gibney looked like? So, if we um, yeah. more would know. Yeah. Then okay. Then then yeah, we'll make notes of the, any tattoos or facial features and stuff. And well, no, I just, we'll just cut off the head and take it back. Yeah. <laughs> Is this him? <laughs> okay. So, so um, you grab the body and, and bring it back. No. Uh, can we? I mean, are we equipped to take it back? The sleds don't work. Um, right? You have your own sled, yes. You could go back and get one if you want. I don't know if there's, it's also wrapped in a topolin, and I mean, to be crude, it's a little, it's frozen. So oh. it's basically like well, a popsicle. It's like it's like a stretch. It's like its own stretcher. Yeah, let, I don't yeah. know if we want to tip our hand yet. Okay, yeah, let's. Yeah. Yep. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> At least I hope not. All right. Um, you emerge back into. So it would be you probably spent. Spent about an hour getting ready for the camp, and you spent, you know, uh, an hour or two maybe exploring this place. So it's it's in the afternoon, about three or so. Um, I forget when the sun sets. I think it might actually be about three. I think it's nearing uh, sunset, or at least like the sun is disappearing behind the mountain. So it's a good time to kind of call it quits. Because mm. um, what time? Is, what time of year is it again? What month? It's December. Oh, okay. So it's it's, there, it's summer in Antarctica. So yeah, I mean, if anything, this, you know, it's gonna dip and get twilight, but then come back up. Yeah. Let's see. So actually, here I'll show you this thing. Um, see if you can see it properly. This is list Yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. 
This is one of the uh, murals. Oh. Dude, do you have like a museum there of like, <laughs> expedition? Yes, I do. Uh, I want to see all that stuff. That's cool. <laughs> I've had this and a bunch of other stuff for about a year and a half now. Waiting, <laughs> Just waiting, for, waiting for us to get to that, this that, rem that reminds me, don't, don't I have an envelope that I'm not allowed to open yet? Oh, that's a good question, do you? Um, you, you come up, uh, you go back to the camp, uh, I assume. Uh, and you find more, um, more uh, back at the camp. Uh, I, 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 like, uh, I go to Moore and try to pull him aside from the, if, if, if he's around anyone. Yeah. Uh, he's he's scribbling notes and, and looks exhausted and, and tired and um, uh, he comes with you willingly. Uh, I, I'm a bit shaken. It's like what the fuck, man. We, need to talk to we, we just found uh, traces of the other expedition here. Uh, really? you, you must have known about this. What's going on? What, what's the notes you have? Oh, it's worse than I thought. Um. Time to spill it, man. We're all in this together yeah. now. While yeah. while you um, were examining the cave, and you were gone, uh, the Germans arrived, and I don't know how they got it. I I didn't ask questions, um, but they had a document in their possession. He uh, he says I I I read it, but I I couldn't believe it. It it didn't seem true or real but the more that I've seen the more I'm now convinced that it is um, and he, he goes to his um, he goes to his uh, backpack and, and brings out this um, envelope looks kind of like this so the Germans willingly gave this to you willingly without you having previous knowledge of it yes um, I think they wanted to to try to um, to try to convince me that um we should join forces and, and cross over the mountains together. Um, okay, so that's encouraging. That it doesn't. It shows that there's not a sense of them trying to manipulate and keep secret their information. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're what they're looking for, but um, <laughs> the lost ark. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, Jens. So I the the envelope that I gave you when we were in Berlin uh, a long time ago. Uh, you can open that. You'll find this inside. Uh, David, I'll... It has, I just have, has I have it at my it. office. Don't worry. I'll, I'll give uh, you... Okay. I'll get you a copy of the document as well. <laughs> uh, hold on a sec. Open the envelope, put your face to it, and inhale deeply. <laughs> <laughs> then put a, put a plastic bag over that. <laughs> okay. Unexpected climax to the story. Doesn't this answer is the part where you go insane, so it's full of, it's full of cocaine. <laughs> Good. Like, and while Tom is high out of his mind, uh, <laughs> there you go. Ooh, giddy. Let's see. So this is the document that he's that over his hand. Yeah. This better be some porn in here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, tentacle porn. <laughs> nice little nut. Well, can you show it to us <laughs> instead of like doing it show right it outside of the field? <laughs> oh, your camera's out. What is it? Jesus. Your camera's off. Yeah, your camera read off. it. Tom, for the love of him. The camera's gone insane. It failed at sanity check. 
things Tom, man was not meant to know. From seeing it. <laughs> Tom, can you hear us? I think we lost it. Oh my god. The tension. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. <laughs> Come on. Oh man. <laughs> wow, what an anticlimax. Skype fails. No. And Tom. <laughs> In that moment. You don't my say cam. You killed it. You killed your cam. Uh -huh. Jesus, right. It could not display all the non-Euclidean geometry. <laughs> Just crap right out. <laughs> I'm gonna hang him up and try to add him again. Oh God! I, I was just about to congratulate technology today. I thought everything had yeah, gone everything so has gone pretty well. And then Tom decided to change the angle of his camera, and everything went to hell. Tom, are you there? Okay, I'm gonna hang up on everything and then call again. He's saying dope. I hope it works. Oh, <laughs> oh he's saying he's saying something. Oh, fuck. He's dead. What? <laughs> <laughs> How is that even possible? Yeah, how does oh it just my stop? god. Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wow. This is like uh, getting to the top of Everest and then you realize that the batteries for your camera are dead. You couldn't have planned this any better. Tom, you couldn't have ruined this anymore. <laughs> but just that the camera is dead, why is his sound dead as well? Why is, why is he... Maybe he's, yeah, like just, he's using the, the whole driver probably. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. But where's your camera? Hold on. I'm trying to... Uh, I need to plug my headphones in here. Dead. Don't you have a backup pack for these emergency situations? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I don't hear you guys. We can hear you. Uh, we, you hear me? I, maybe now? Can you talk? Yes. Hello. Can you hear us? Yes. Hello. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Now I hear you. Okay. I don't know why. Can you I fix your camera? You, um. What about the camera? I don't know why it's not. Uh, well, Mike, is you basically? I just moved the camera, right, and then it just went black. So I think there's a loose connection in it or something. All right. Do you well, have a soldering iron? So I have a backup. So let's just uh, continue. But I, uh, how do I turn on fucking video on Skype? What's wrong with this shit? Yeah, who knows? There's a there's an icon probably somewhere. Yeah. Should yeah, I click talk? on the icon? Yeah, but. Yeah. Should I run the the backup instead, Tom? Uh, run the backup. What do you mean? I well, I'm gonna get my laptop uh, instead uh, and connect on that. Okay. Do you have a camera on it? Is it yeah. like from after 1999? Excellent. <laughs> yeah. See you in a second. This like gaming okay. with Christian. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because he's like crazy. No. Yeah. He just has like a a self-built PC that he inherited <laughs> from his little brother from like 95 with like, like one of those old Logitech. Uh, webcams. It's just like everything yeah. is just not. I need to reload my driver from the tape drive. Yeah, just, just give me a minute, guys. I just need to so download I gotta restart this DOS. driver. And then you download the driver from a, a .com.tw site. <laughs> like you have to use Google Translate yeah. to find the right. <laughs> I gotta go on two cows and find the share. This is wow. shareware driver. Wow. Two cows, Jesus. You know, two cows is still, still around. Two still cows there? are still around. They are huge in the domains business. 
huge. Huh? They are? Yeah. Wow. Are you there, Tom? Yep. Yeah. Cool. I think... Oh, there we go. There we go. So... Okay. Let's try this one more time. I don't know what All the right, here we go. All right. Let me just put my headset on. Yep. Okay. All right. Yes. Let's do this. Uh, and do this. action. Okay. And you see? Right. Yeah. Wait, wait. So what, 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 how does this fit into the story? I know how, that Tom got it in Berlin, but where did Belkur get this? He just got it from more. Yeah, more oh, just now. Ah, okay. It's ah, a document that the Germans had. What does it say, Tom? All of it. <laughs> Let me just read it. I'll call you back in two hours. <laughs> how big is it, Tom? A month. It's like a... What is this? Mother of God. Jesus. <laughs> the fuck? Just, just That's quite a hand choose, a ran choose a random <laughs> paragraph. Oh, uh, read the opening. I am forced into speech because men of science have refused to follow my advice without knowing why. It is altogether against my will that I tell you my reasons for opposing this contemplated invasion of the Antarctic with this vast fossil hunt and its wholesale boring and melting of the ancient ice caps. Uh, and I am the more reluctant because my warning may be in vain. Who is it signed by on the last page? <laughs> the index, uh, the index. What does it say? Page, page missing. No, it's this tickly lee, tickly lee. It's like uh, from uh, the fucking uh, PIM book. Is that what's in the PIM book? It's, it's like the, some like natives, they yell it. Uh, oh, dude. Remember, th there's a missing chapter, right, that we couldn't find. So, remember, okay, I'm going back in my notes here because I yeah, wrote yeah. this down. No, so, but I don't think this is what it's... This is not that actually a package that got stolen. Remember, there's a package that was addressed to Moore. I've got it in my notes here. Package from yes, San Francisco yes. to Moore. Forged signature at the hotel. Uh, so, uh, um, it was someone pretended to be Moore or whatever and signed for it and took it from the hotel. It was yeah. a, the description is nine by 12, three inch thick book or manuscript, travel worn. Um, Probably a book. Yeah. It was sent from Samoa. Yeah. So Sender, so the Germans, Dyer. the Germans stole it. The Germans stole it. They were the ones that pretended to be more inside. Belcourt, more says to you, this, this was written by Dyer. Yeah, exactly. And this is from Professor Dyer. Oh, I think this was sent to us. This was this was the package that was stolen. That never came to us. I, I didn't ask questions for how the Germans got it. You make your own conclusions, but yeah, stole it. They stole it, assholes. What he writes in here, if this is true, well, are we all doomed? I guess we need to read it. I guess but I'll, that's... I'll let you come to your own conclusions. Uh, okay. So do we have this so, as a handout now? Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll send it as well. It's uh, it's essentially um, the what was later published as the book by H.P. Lovecraft called At the Mountains of Madness. Um, so you can you can get it for on the internet if you want to. Um, uh, I have, so I've made a couple of copies. I can send you one. Is as it well. the full book? 
Yeah. This is the full book at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. It's a, it's a short story. It's a, it's it's a novel map or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I made a couple copies. Uh, my intention was to age all of them. I aged three copies. Uh, two of them, Jens and Tom have. I have one, and then I have ones that are not. I actually didn't even finish aging my one because it takes forever. <laughs> How do you do that? Like lemon juice? Uh, yeah, it's like uh, lemon juice, uh, coffee grinds, stuff like that, um, in the oven, uh, one page at a time. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, and actually, Jesus so I, I jumped, I stopped doing the oven part because it just took way too long. So essentially, like, I have a bath of uh, water with uh, stuff in it, and I put it in there and then, you know, mush it about. I take it out. They're all wet and stuff, and then I crumble them up and try to, like, make them look warm. And then one at a time, I iron them. <laughs> wow! I iron them. I I ruined our iron uh, because uh, it ended up uh, putting coffee uh, <laughs> marks. On I'm, sh- the- I'm sure your wife was failed at Samuel. Yes. Um, so this is uh, this was like I don't know. I mean, this is like a, a year and a half ago, I think, uh, that I was going through this. Uh, and at some point, I was like, "This is taking way too long." So so I stopped. <laughs> so. I'm gonna read it. Cool. Um, it's probably it's about twelve, so I don't know if this is like a good time to, to stop. Anyway, I don't know how long you guys want to keep going. I mean, it might uh, be. I mean, for uh, for game wise, it might be useful if we actually all read this before going on. I guess, but uh, I can give you an, a summary as well if you want to go on now. Um, yeah, but it's up to you I think, guys. Because we just, we have we don't get together that often. I think we need to take every. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's up to you guys. I have plenty of time. Well, I've I've read at the Mountains of Madness, but it's years okay. ago. Mm-hmm. I started reading it a while. Ago. I got, I got all the. I think you pretty much get like a, there was like a collection of Lovecraft uh, as a book with like tons of his short stories in it. Mm-hmm. I have that one on my Kindle, but uh, didn't really read that much. I, I think you told us not to read it. When yeah, the game uh, I mean, right? I, I said if you've read it, I know I know that um, you know, some of you have, and some of you know a little bit about it and stuff. Uh, mostly because uh, the biggest so um, to do a meta thing um, the the original first edition of Beyond the Mountains of Madness actually gives this handout in the camp luckily you guys uh, skipped those days anyway so it was easy to, to get across or around but so you would actually read the entire story before you cross the mountains which I thought was really anticlimactic because it's such a kind of a cool moment to get to the city um and so the second edition moves uh, various pieces around, and this is one of them. Um, and so this this felt a little bit more right. Um, now it gets it, it's going to give you some backstory and, and stuff, um, yeah. and also a whole lot of scientific uh, uh, details that <laughs> you may or may not want. Okay, so because now it makes sense to me because yeah, for the meta because I've read the I've read the short story you know well before this. So going into the game, it's it's interesting because one thing I couldn't keep straight. And I think probably some of this crept in is like what the characters know based on the information that gets out early in the game from the expedition, but it's not this level of detail. But I, I guess I didn't understand that. I thought that there was more alluding to the city and the alien life forms and stuff. But that no, that doesn't come into the game until now. Yeah, yeah. All we know earlier in the game is that the, the expedition failed. Everyone died. We don't know why and all that stuff. Yeah, because the um, the as you'll see in the story as well. There's, um, and I'm not going to reveal what happens after, but the, all the details of the radio broadcast and all that stuff, it's all in that story. Yes. And then that's all of the stuff that the world knows. 
and then beyond that, uh, the story has some more information, and uh, you'll you know read it and see what that is. Um, but that's that's kind of where it where it cuts off. Okay. I, so I have a summary of it uh, here somewhere. Uh, if I could only find it. Uh, okay, so I can read. Um, I can read you the uh, summary. Okay. How much time do you guys uh, think you have? I have another hour. Okay. Got about good to... Okay. I got about half an hour. All right. Dyer's story of the Miskatonic University expedition is fully reproduced in the uh, Demand Madness, blah, blah, blah. Um, Dyer's tale and historical accounts uh, agree substantially uh, up to the point where the rescue party lands at Lake's camp. In this account, however, um, the party finds the camp in great disarray, much as it was found by Moore's group, but with the cruelly murdered bodies of dogs and men still scattered about the camp and... um, uh, or arrayed in hangar uh, H2 uh, in hideous display. This is the map reference. That the party was murdered was never in doubt. The identity of the murder was uncertain, most likely being Gedney, the missing student. Dyer and Danforth uh, flew several flights over the area in search of Gedney, but found nothing. They then lightened a single plane and flew over the mountains through the nearest pass. On the far side of the range, they found not a barren plateau, but the incredible ancient remains of an immense city uninhabitable uh, for geological epochs. They landed and walked through the city's near edge, sketching and taking many photographs. The city is barren now, but contains untold murals, frescoes, and other non-portable artifacts, which reveal its age and extreme civilization of its now-vanished builders. Dyer maintains that the city was built not by men, but by creatures similar in appearance to the Professor Lake's old ones, or elder ones, and that the murders were done not by Gedney, but by the eight perfect specimens removed from the cave by Lake's party. These, it seems, were not dead, but somehow hibernating. Awakened, they slew their rescuers and fled over the mountains to their city home. The city is built atop the plateau, but deep beneath the plateau is a great sunless sea which, might, which may be reached by long tunnels slanting down from the surface. There, according to Dyer, the city's builders took their final refuge. Their descendants may still remain there, however. In a foray into, um, in a foray into one such tunnel, the two men were set upon by a huge, monstrous predator, a Shoggoth. Descended of the ancient slaves of the city builders, now apparently free to roam at will. The men escaped through good luck, but the shock of the meeting was one of the things that caused Danforth's breakdown. Dyer and Danforth found the bodies of four of the returned elder ones in the downward sloping tunnel, apparently slain by the Shoggoths. He concluded that the rest most likely perished as well while seeking others of their kind. He found Gedney's body too, preserved and carried as if for later examination. After examining the city for several hours and being chased by the Shoggoth, Danforth and Dyer conclude that the existence of the Elder Ones in their city is something that should be kept from the rest of the world, lest they uh, lose horrors that cannot be controlled. They pledge to keep the secret and persuade the others in the rescue party to stay silent about what they know as well. Only the advent of the Starkweather Moor expedition, with its avowed intent of exploring the high plateau, has forced him to break his silence in the hopes of warning them away. Although Dyer speaks of a great many photos and samples which originally accompanied the work, they are not provided with the manuscript. The book can be read end-to-end in about three hours by a fast reader. A slower reader with more attention requires uh, as much as a day or two. 
Uh, it is in English, typed on bond paper, 110 manuscript pages. Uh, the one I have is 62. Mm. Um, so I think we found that underground sea through those tunnels that we went down. Or a piece of it. So um, I assume you all end up reading it, uh, mm-hmm. kind of passing the pages between you. Yeah, we definitely want to find out what's going on. So, Will, if, if you can read it for next time, that'd be awesome. Um, okay. Uh, I, I'll send you... There are some actually some really good uh, radio uh, adaptations of it as well yeah. uh, that are well worth um, listening to. Um, the reading it, uh, and especially uh, with the knowledge of uh, you being in the city, is a sanity check. Yeah, it was a magic. Okay, I'm going to read it then. Yeah, I'm not reading that much. I'm not touching that. Sorry. God dang it. That's like the third one in a row. Six, is that good? <laughs> so. <laughs> can we spend points on a sanity check? I, I really uh, don't think this yeah. shit's random. <laughs> That's my fourth so, one in a row. And, and it's the same thing as a stability check. We spend points in order not to lose any points. Uh, you can spend points in order not to lose any points. It's entirely up to you if you feel like it's worth it. I'm just going to roll. A six. A four. Alright, hold on. You have to keep in mind that Magnus is Norwegian, so his his English understanding isn't great, and therefore I think like he's not that affected by this text as other people whose <laughs> English is better might be. You have to keep these things in mind. Uh-huh. Um, David, you rolled a one. Yeah. Again. Oh, I didn't even see that. Wow. <laughs> Great job, David. So that yeah, I wrote four ones in a row. Ouch. That's a three-point yeah, sanity I, loss. Ah, uh, shit. I'm not in a minus two. Sanity or stability? Sanity. Sanity. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Why? Well, how much? Where are you in sanity? Because I'm at ten. This is the first time anybody's losing sanity points, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Maybe not the last time. So you actually lose four points because this is a mythos test. Oh, you essentially um, you're incapable of lying to yourself that um, what you're reading isn't true, given everything you've seen, um, and. You know, given the situation you're finding yourself in, and so forth, um, what are your um, what are your pillars? Let's see, leading a sedentary life is a curse. Seeking adventure is a human need. Belief that technology and science will improve mankind. Never give up in the face of extreme adversity. Success can be pulled from the jaws of defeat. That sounds like five. Five what? That sounds like five, uh, five different. Oh, oh well, I, I like just uh, you know expanded on them. So like okay. one of them is set, leading a sedentary life is a curse. The other one is belief that technology and science will improve mankind. And the third is never give up in the face of adversity. Okay. So like, I almost lost half my sanity in one blow. I'm down to six of ten. Unfortunately, the chapter on stability and sanity is not the best written clearest thing in the world so um, 
so essentially, I actually think it works this way. Um, I apologize for the lack of clarity. I think it works this way. I think you take stability checks, and then if that stability check is incurred by uh, what's called like a mythos um, thing, um, if it drops below zero, um, or if you use you know Cthulhu, Cthulhu mythos ability, which you don't have, uh, then that will incur a cost. And uh, each time you're shaken by a mythos encounter by drop instability um, or blast it, then that also incurs a sanity cost. So I think what actually happens here is that you lose four points of stability. What, what does that leave you at? That would put me down to minus three. Oh, shit. Great, that means you're shaken. Uh, that means your sanity drops by one point. Okay, oh. so my sanity is nine. Uh, good. All right, and sanity points are not recoverable. Stability points can be recoverable. Um, and then the way it works is that once you've uh, lost uh, three points, uh, then you can begin to uh, crumble your pillars of sanity, um, you know, and, and use those to kind of protect, you know, quote unquote, your your brain, your mind. Um, and when it drops down to like when your sanity drops down to uh, two or below. Um, things get really bad for you. Okay, great. Good. So, um, so you've spent, uh, you spent the, the proverbial night, so to speak, the sun is set, um, the late afternoon into the evening hours, uh, reading and passing around this text, um, which, you know, goes over uh, all of the, the the things that the last expedition um, saw and, and whatnot, and the you you read from that as well uh, as you will see when you read it uh, that 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 pit you were in uh, where you found Gedney's body um, that was like they landed at the same place as you landed um, because it's it's the the best landing sp- uh, spot within miles so they also explored that area and, and actually went further in. Uh, into the the uh, abyss. Um, any questions? No. How do I get a mystery? Chicken shit out of it. Yeah. Okay, so now we know there's these creatures roaming <coughs> the ruins that are extremely aggressive, right? They're going to attack anything that they come across. And they're the enemies of the previous inhabitants. Yes. They're also, by the way, uh, giant penguins. Well, that's good. It's it better and better. So I don't know what you're. Um, I assume you're you're talking to each other about this stuff, and then... that makes me less uh, desirable to go down a hole and explore a dark hole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've seen enough. I think we should just take the plane home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so at this point, what do what would we gain by staying? Um, so okay, what does more what does more want to get out of this? I mean, what is what's his goal? Yeah, yeah. What level of danger is he wanting to accept? That's a good question. Um, he seems um, 
first of all, he's, he seems slightly in shock, almost, that um, this place is real. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, Starkweather seems elated over the fact that this place exists and, and how, like, what it'll do to, you know, for his fame um, and also just for, for being able to bring this information back to the world and, and the, the level of discovery that this is, uh, you know, here to unforeseen uh, kind of career. Well, we're, at that, we're at that point now. We, we now are at a point where we've confirmed the existence of this incredible thing that will change the world. And we just have to give that knowledge back. The rest of the world doesn't have it. So that in and of itself is extremely valuable and probably meets all the needs of Starkweather. More being more of a scientist, maybe more inclined to want to get some scientific knowledge. But um, yeah, so at this point, what do they want? What do they... They're, 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 I mean, they may have conflicting goals at this point. Starkweather may want to just get out of here and become world famous and take the knowledge back. Mm. And more may want to do more research. Yeah. Um, I think they, they both seem to think that they want to stay so they can find out more information about this place, uh, find out more of the history. Um, the um, uh, Dyer's text uh, speaks a lot about the history um, as it's recorded on these murals throughout the city. And um, they like more wants to wants to know more about it because this this place obviously despite the fact that it's um, it's dangerous has profound effects on humanity yes. either way yeah and because there's three different factions here yeah you know, if you pull out and leave the other two then you potentially lose significant discovery and, and you know advantages so and I wonder, do you think that Kate, do you think Lexington knows this? The Germans clearly know this because they have the manuscript. But does Lexington have this knowledge? Uh, More Moore doesn't know. He doesn't know whether they've shown. So I mean, this is kind of important knowledge, though, right? Because if we don't share this, potentially we're contributing to the death of expedition members if they go wandering down holes, not knowing that there's a significant threat. Mm. Yeah. Um, so what's the responsibility level of the, the expedition to now share what we have? How, how did they survive that encounter with the Shagoth? How did they, they ran away? They ran away. Yeah. yeah. They didn't kill it. No. Does it bleed? Um, I don't even know if they heard it. I actually forget. And it's just a, a technical question here. Like now we're obviously getting to know about the Cthulhu mythos, right? We're sort of learning by studying these memorials. Mor yes. And um, <clears throat> also reading this, this report by Dyer. Doesn't, does that mean that we actually start getting points in Cthulhu mythos? Yes. Uh, actually, that was what I was supposed to go back to. Uh, you get one point in uh, Cthulhu mythos. And that's a uh, that's not a rechargeable uh, point. That's like one, you know, it's like a temporary point. Ah, okay, understood. Suspended is gone. Yeah, it's not. It's not a. Um, so just to get like uh, uh, an idea of where everything is, um, the plane is being worked on. Uh, Starkweather has taken. Um, uh, who did he take? 
Miles. I forget who it was. Uh, he's taking somebody to go and, and photograph a little bit more um, and see if he could pry off some sculptures or something uh, in case they have to leave in a hurry. Um, Moore um, has explored a little bit and is, is, you know, besides or aside from conversing with you guys about this, uh, is taking a lot of notes and, and um, uh, sketches and stuff. Um, and light meals are being served. Um, and then um, sleeping shifts kind of commence. Um, and well, now that we know, now that we know there's a significant threat here, I, I want to make sure that the, the like the co-pilots are on fixing that skid ASAP because we want to have the ability to leave when we need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're working on it um, as much as they can. Yeah. Those murals seem to be the best source of knowledge and figuring out what's going on here so you know, going back and studying them further or finding more of them or something would be an advantage mm -hmm. especially if we can decipher the writing so in the late afternoon around six or so dinner served and um this you know curious uh sensations is kind of spreading uh, uh as people take in the impressions of the day. Uh, everybody's eyeing the canvas door tarp uh, as if something might come bursting inside it, inside the tent. Um, in uh, the late afternoon, um, the sun swings low to the west uh, and the city's atmosphere changes. Um, the sunlight dims a little bit, taking on a ruddier hue, and a mist seems to rise from the ancient stones, blurring the landscape, sometimes giving you the impression that you're almost, as you see other people moving about, that they're almost floating alone in a sea of ghosts. These silent vapors lie thick on the ground, um, seems to muffle words and footsteps, uh, and gives you a sense that you're being watched from beyond time. <sighs> um, Miles and Starkweather return from their explorations uh, sometime in the after six o'clock uh, and they bring back uh, a lot of stories and uh, carvings uh, that they've taken from um, from fallen walls uh, fragments of petrified wood and um, pentagonal coasters of green soapstones that are like look like uh, coins I think you found some back at the other place as well I hope no, one, no one's going out on their own right we're doing like the buddy system with yeah groups always moving groups. In, always moving in groups um, and the eager excitement of them break that the somber mood for a little bit um, but then they also turn in and uh, the camp goes quiet again Moore examines the petrified wood samples uh, with some sort of delight um, as much as as much as possible he can't sleep uh, it seems like and then somebody else takes his place in the tent Beyond that, uh, conversations are terse, a little depressed. For a long time, silence just reigns. If, do you guys think there's more to be gained from going back and relooking at the mural now that we have this knowledge, or should we explore somewhere else? Well, there's uh, tunnels there, right? So, but we that's, better bring weapons. That's, that's where yeah. it's, it's nasty as well. So I don't know. Um, you're also tired. It's late. 
you've been it's been yeah not for, not for today we'll rest yeah busy time for you guys yeah so that's a good I, place. I have a principle okay. I only chase monsters in the morning yeah <laughs> okay so maybe this is a good place to finish at least for me I'm gonna have to go in a sec yeah yeah uh, I will leave you with one final thought if I can find it as you go to sleep uh, who who has the lowest uh, sanity that would be oh, ten, nine. nine. Yeah. Minus ten. You um you go to sleep and you fall into a weird dream. The small hairy food beast bleats and struggles as you wring its neck. It's still and limp as you carefully cut away the flesh from its long slender bones. A few morsels, the eyes and the tongue, are consumed at once, and they're pleasing to you. The rest, trimmed, is set aside for later feasting. And when you wake up the next morning, it didn't occur to you until you actually woke up, but that weak creature was probably some sort of early man. Uh, weird. Okay. And with that... <laughs> see. <laughs>
Cool. So yeah, you dreamt about eating a human. Sweet. Is that it? Yes. Maybe uh, maybe next sessions uh, is not in uh, five months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll definitely play sooner. I mean, yeah, uh, it's getting yeah fun and interesting. That's, uh, we want to play more often. Yeah, I know. It's uh, <laughs> this took, it took a little longer to get to this part than I originally imagined. But uh, pilot this track right now on Horror Terror Radio. What is it? It's the opening to Shutter Island. Ah, that's. Uh, nice. I love it. Yeah, it's great. So, so just Michael, what's your what are your thoughts on you know the practicality of with this adventure? Do you, how much do you think would be lost versus the practicality if like the adventure had an alternate mode where the players just read background and then we're launched pretty close to this yeah. point where get to the lake at camp? I mean, I know you'd lose a lot of the the background, extensive background, the history, and the sense of the preparation, yeah. and the scale of the journey. I don't know. I mean, there there are people that do that, uh, just launch it right into Lake's camp. Uh, I've read uh, people that do that, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like that slow building is is. I love that uh, as part uh-huh. of it, and and it's it's definitely there are definitely sections that are less interesting, you know, overall, and also less interesting to certain kinds of people as well. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like overall setting up, um, you know, there's and there's even stuff that you guys you know, have missed and, and that's kind of natural for any, any party will go through it in slightly different ways. But there's, there's a lot of that background information about, uh, Acacia Lexington's, um, office that has like all these little things in it. And there's like some other things that I can't talk about yet, but you would lose out on it. Like you wouldn't, oh God, I can't turn this down. I'm sorry. Um, you probably would lose out on PIM as well, which, you know, for some people it's fine. If you're not interested in, in kind of that, that level of, of deep, you know, pseudo intertextuality or whatever, um, fine. Like if you just want to run kind of a, an action horror thing, then, then it's, it's very doable. Um, but as a barrier to entry for the campaign and probably for certain group yeah. dynamics, yeah, it may be a better way for some to just be, at least to be able to play it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, launch. if, if you, if you're just interested in kind of, uh, you know, uh, exploring and, and whatever, you know, stuff might come afterwards, then it's definitely like a way to do it. Uh, I, I feel like it's, it's a big part of it. I mean, if, when you look at, um, movies like, um, alien, for instance, which draws a lot on at the mountains of madness, um, it does yeah um we can go into that later but um details but uh the that very slow build up like it's it's just like that tension building up and while and we've played it over the period of like a year and a half so it's you know it's that's a slow build up it's a very slow build up uh but if you played it in in kind of a normal you know week to week or bi-weekly then it wouldn't take more than a few months to kind of get to yeah. it and and you you kind of all those little details of you know yes the manifests is is a critiquable part of the campaign but nevertheless now you know what the like what the equipment you have is and you can actually refer to it and, and there's also i mean i i feel like there's there's something pretty cool about having gone through all of that and then looking back on it as a story that you've you've partaken in like you've it's all complete fictional obviously but nevertheless you've you've kind of you've made sure that all that stuff is with you yeah. And now you're standing in the middle of an alien alien yeah. city, and, and there's there's a lot of kind of stuff that's happened to to make sure that things are the way they are. For instance, you don't have trail radios because you forgot to put to check them; they don't work. Um, so so that all that stuff kind of it, it's a lot of subtleties that you would lose out on if if you were to cut it short. But um, 
you know, again, it's it's totally doable. It's just a kind of a, a different kind of, uh, you know, dynamic. Um, but yeah, I, it's 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 the one of all the campaigns that I've read so far. It's the one that has that weird buildup and very very slow kind of thing. I mean, this is session nine. Yeah, I think so. Nine sessions without, you know hardly without any supernatural occurrences or anything like that. Um, it's, 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 I don't know. I, I find it very, I find it very rewarding in a, in a way that yes. I don't think a lot of other ones do. Like there were masks of Nile Arthotep. It's like just straight up pulp, um, hardcore horror, uh, from beginning from day one. So it's like a different, yeah, mode. it's cool. It's definitely a very unique campaign. Yeah. It's like, it's really neat. Cool. Yeah. Well, send out the doodle as soon as you can because we need yeah. to yeah uh, yeah let's do that let's do that so um, uh, yeah and I'll I'll send off as well I'll send you the the stuff uh, for reading the the thing and like whatever radio stuff I have as well um, so it's like a yeah. easier digestible format for it it's pretty fun I love those I've I, actually I heard that one at least one of these before at the mountains of madness mm. as a radio play yeah there's I, you need to sort of like get into it but it's really cool it's a really cool format it's yeah. a little bit unusual but it's really nice yeah it feels it feels very right for the for the story type as well uh, yeah like. it's um, like the sort of thing where you should get a glass of wine and then yeah. put on this dim the lights and then uh, smoke a pipe and listen to that <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I, I actually think uh, there's one of them in particular that's really good um, I'll send you that one because uh, there's like there are a couple um, but and I the the radio transmissions from uh, earlier are culled from some of those, and then layered with various other stuff. But um, one of them is really good. I feel like and has like music and, and stuff as well that, that works pretty well mm-hmm. for the whole the whole thing. All right, cool. Great. Well, I'm glad oh. we were able to finally get together. It was great. Yeah, me yeah. too. Was Sorry for the wait. Yeah, but, uh, okay, but that's the payoff. I look forward to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Well, uh, see ya. All right, everybody. Have fun. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.